and welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I am a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds from the underground. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show, a place where you don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this, live and direct, and uh, streaming to you live on YouTube and heard around the world. Hello to you from the future. You can find the podcast version of this program on all popular platforms. Tonight we have a bit of a full house here tonight. Two brave souls join us this evening. First up, Max Egan returns here to the program. He is a researcher, truth seeker. He also has a very popular YouTube channel. He's also a filmmaker and one of the leaders of Global Awakening Movement, Max Egan. No stranger to controversy, Max has even been attacked. Then after the break, he's appeared here before and we welcome him back into the circle. Mr. John Olson is alive and has some new content for all of us. And of course, the phone lines are open. That number is 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724. Don't be shy. can definitely hang out with all of us here tonight. And before I waste any more time, we do have to get to our first guest here. Let's bring him in. I hate to make him wait. Max, are you out there? I certainly am, brother. Can you hear me okay? I could hear you loud and clearly here. I actually had to yell into the mic for a moment here and um, hit this uh, channel here hard enough so it can actually work. Dead channel. Interesting. Oh, yeah. The um, other mixer I had on here earlier, something happened and it really uh, screwed up with the old mixer here. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Digital to analog. Yeah. It, something happened. I'm not quite sure what it was, but now everything's rolling again and I'm quite happy. So thank you so much for being here. I do apologize for all the inconveniences here tonight, Max. Oh, good brother. Oh, good. We're here now. Let's do it. For sure, my friend. And before we begin here tonight, there's all sorts of things I do want to cover with you, but there are those out there who have never heard of you before. Uh, I thought you could sort of tell us a little bit about yourself as we get things rolling here tonight, my friend. Okay. Well, I guess uh, I'm just an independent researcher. I spent most of my life as a musician. I kind of lived on the outside of society for all my life, which was kind of good because it gave me a kind of a window to, to look at the freak show from the outside and not really have to participate in it too much. So, And I became an activist. Um, like I've been an activist most of my life, but I became fully full-time activist probably about 10 or 12 years ago. And it just became necessary to do so you know, with the state of the world. So I spend most of my time traveling now and doing lectures and radio shows and making films and just trying to bring about some sort of positive change and wake the world up to the fact that we're in serious we're in serious trouble we need to pay attention to matters of state so that's basically it I think oh yes definitely and of course Max earlier as I was introducing you here I even read that you were attacked. Yeah, that was probably three or four years ago. That was after one of my talks speaking out against um, uh, a particular state that I don't think we're able to mention on YouTube anymore, where the men with small hats live. Oh, and yes. um, yeah, I got I got badly beaten. I got a couple of cracked ribs and a few things like that. So uh, yeah, it just goes with the territory. It's just the way it is, you know. Yes, but of course you were not at any sort of age to be taking punches, Max. No, it's about probably fifty nine or sixty years. 
years old. So it sort of, yeah, it's uh, it jumped from behind. It was it was pretty pretty low. I mean, it was outside. I got jumped from behind. I got hit. Basically, got punched in the right ear, and it you know, hit to the eardrum. You you lose your balance. You know, it's very very disorienting. And I, I kind of dropped to the ground and took a few kicks around the ribs and stuff. And um, I mean, it, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, I was completely down for the count. I mean, the, the person could have killed me if he wanted to, but he didn't. So you know, that's that's one consolation, I suppose. But you know, it goes it goes with the territory. I get lots of death threats. I get lots of um, you know people wanting to attack me. I've had someone tell me that if they see me in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, they intend to shoot me. Really? Well, a few weeks ago, you know. So, <laughs> a few things like that. I mean, it just it just goes with the territory. You know, you don't really take too much of it um, too seriously. It's just the way it goes when you become an activist. You know. Well, apparently so. I just wouldn't imagine being attacked at at that age. I can't even be uh, imagine yeah. being attacked at this age over your well, words. Well, it's bad being attacked at any age. That's so, right. Know, but it's just the o- way. Over it any- just goes with the territory. You've, you've right. got to have pretty thick skin, and you've got to be prepared for these sorts of things to happen if if you're going to speak out, you know? Uh, no doubt, but of course, you were attacked over words, basically. That's always silly. Yeah, well, that, that's pretty well what happens most of the time, really. If you look at uh, if you look at history, you know, people people hear words they don't like and they have no recourse, and so all all they, they have left is is physical violence to try to shut you up any way they can because they just don't want to hear. So yeah, you know, it's just the way it goes for sure. And of course, you're out there in Australia. Um, what is the weather like out there, uh, Max? As you know, I'm out here in the desert and it's triple digits. So I'm usually dying right now. <laughs> it's actually beautiful. It's just coming into spring, first day of spring today here, and it's beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful day, and it actually feels like spring. It's warm. It's sunny. It's a beautiful day. So, yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, you can't do that out here. As soon as you open the door, Max, it feels like an oven outside. Yeah, whereabouts are you? In all central California. That is way down south, way down here. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm going to be in California next week, actually. I'll be in California. I've got to go to L.A. Oh, nice. Next Tuesday, Tuesday next week, I'll be flying to L.A. So, yeah, I'm pretty used to southern California temperatures. It does get pretty intense down there. Yeah, but now it's a little bit nicer, so you should be fine out there. And, of course, can you tell us a little bit about your travels to L.A. as, as we walk along here with you? Yeah, well, I've got to go to L.A. I'm actually speaking in Philadelphia. I'm just going to go to LA and sleep for a couple of days, get over the jet lag, and then I've got to go to Philadelphia and do an anarchist convention, Anarchadelphia in Philadelphia. That's going to be a three-day event on the 13th, 14th, and 15th. That's going to be great. It'll be Mark Passio. I think um, Larkin Rose is going to be there. Jeff Berwick's coming along. A whole bunch of people are going to be there. So it'll be good. It'll be a really good event. And then after that, I've got to go to uh, Mount Shasta. I'm doing an event in, I think it's the 27th of September at Mount Shasta. It's called the Avatars of the Earth Gathering. Now, I'm just going to be basically doing a workshop there. I'm just going to be kind of sitting sitting around and doing a, having a conversation with the people. I'm not really going to be doing a presentation. It's just going to be a workshop and conversation and, and see where it leads. Because sometimes these sorts of um, these sorts of gatherings can, you know, you, you can go to some really great areas when, when people start questioning you and you just have an open conversation. It can lead to anything. So I'm looking right. forward to that one. And then after that, there's a good possibility I'll be speaking at an event in Denver, Colorado. 
I won't be able to finalize that until I actually get to Philadelphia. The, the guy who's doing the, the gig in Denver is coming to see me in Philly. So we're going to work that out. And then uh, I've got to go to a wedding while I'm over there as well. A friend of mine is getting married in Spokane, Washington. Benny Wills from Joy Camp, actually. Anybody who has not heard Joy Camp should really go and have a listen to this guy because he does some great stuff. And uh, so that's that's uh, one of the main reasons I'm going over there, actually, is, is because these guys are getting married. That, that's what made me agree to ah. – go and do the talks. So um, so I've got three talks to do while I'm over there. It's going to be pretty lightning visit, whirlwind visit. I'm there for like five or six weeks, and I've got like seven stops to do. So killing multiple too much time off. Yeah, killing two birds with one stone, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like they invited me to the wedding, and I went, oh, October, nah, there's no way I'm going to get to the United States in October. And then I got offered a talk in Philadelphia, and I thought, well, okay, that's pretty close. So that gives me a reason to accept the talk um, because Mark can't afford travel, uh, this is the problem, and I don't have a lot of money. But um, someone they offered me the talk in Philadelphia, and I thought, well, okay, I can just get them to book the return flight a month later rather than a week later, and that way I'll get the flight to the United States covered, and I can actually go to Benny's wedding. So that works out pretty well. So it's a way, it's amazing the way the universe works, you know. Oh yes, that's the great thing. Sometimes the universe will work in your favor, and for others, sometimes not so much. And speaking of Philadelphia, uh, it's a pretty tough crowd out there, and someone threatening you that's from uh, maybe the Philly area. I'm not surprised to hear that whatsoever. Um, are you at all in any way sort of, I guess you could say, afraid of what could possibly happen? No, not at all. Um, They're just threats. I don't really do. I don't really do fear. I mean, you get threats like this all the time. I've, right. I've had threats from so many people um, over the years. I've had so many death threats in emails. You, know, you say something on air that people disagree with and um, you get death threats over it. You know, it just goes with the territory. <laughs> right. that's, that's just the way it is. You've got to have pretty thick skin if you want to be an activist in the real world. And, um, I mean, yeah, Philly's a tough crowd, but, you know, it's a, it's a good place as well. I've got some good friends there. And no, no fear. I, I, don't, uh, I don't have any fear of anything. I mean, I'm not scared of death anyway. You know, so um, the karma would be on them. And if the universe wants me to go out that way, then then that's what will happen. But uh, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't really have a stake in any of this. You know, so um, no, I just don't do fear. I don't really concern myself with these things. I find them kind of novel. You know, it helps you know you're on the right track. Really, if you're upsetting people to that extent that they. Uh, you know, getting that upset about it, well, you're probably, you know, hitting areas that, that people should hear. So, you know, it just goes with the territory, bro. Amazing. And of course, as we roll through uh, multiple topics here tonight, last time we discussed a plethora of topics and I wish to do this, uh, the same here tonight. And of course, I wanted to get your permission, Max, if it's cool with you to take phone calls here tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Not a problem. I'm happy to take calls or whatever. All right. Awesome. If anybody wants to call in anytime, uh, if, if you have a question or if something sort of pops up during uh, our talk here, please feel free to call in that number 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724. Don't be afraid to call in. We would love to talk to you. So, Max, as you are probably aware of by now, there's all sorts of tragedies going on here in the United States. People are being shot left and right. And here we go yet again, Max, as we take our focus back down to uh, West Texas, where there was another 
Mass shooting, my friend. Yeah, I just saw that on the news just before uh, I came on air. I haven't actually looked into it, but just saw it on my news feed as I as I logged on here. So yeah, it just seems to be almost a daily occurrence in the United States now. They're really trying to do what they can to disarm the people. I think a lot of people are seeing through it all. I think a lot of people are seeing through these shootings. I mean, so much of it is staged, so much of it is theatre. You know, there was a video footage of the shooting in Philadelphia. I saw what looked like um, the police running back to their car and sprung blood on their arms and then running back into the fray. So, you know, they're doing what they can to try to disarm the people of the United States. They really need to push this uh, gun reform through. I mean, they're not going to be able to just disarm them, but they need to be able to push the background checks and all this sort of stuff that they want to do and relabeling anybody who has shows like this as being potential terrorists and all of this sort of stuff. But, you know, they're doing what they can to make the normal people, you know, normal and inverted commas out there, um, but, you know, see anybody who um, talks about government corruption or anything that we talk about as being a potential terrorist, basically, and they really want to push this divide. You know, if you look at the United States, it's a, the, the main activity that's happening there is a polarization of American society. They want to divide them into, you know, two camps and then split those two camps into another two camps and, you know, have a left and right of every opinion. And, you know, it's all about discussion. That's what all this is about. And they need to make us look like we are potential terrorists. We are um, what is the danger to society because we're questioning the government actions and the people desperately need the government to keep them safe. You know, so it's all part of the same play. It's, it's pretty standard for them to do this sort of stuff, but they seem to be getting desperate. You know, they've, they've really stumbled over so much stuff in the last year and the, the complete farce and, and debacle that they did with uh, with Christchurch, which revealed the extra players and yeah. showed the police involvement and all sorts of stuff, all calling the shooter's video. And then you've got this uh, ridiculous um, so-called alleged suicide of Jeffrey Epstein in a, in a maximum security jail that's not possible to commit suicide. I mean, you know, they're, they're desperately trying to, you know, distract people from that as well, I think, you know. So, and, and they know the wheels are falling off. A lot of people look at this stuff. I mean, the Epstein case, people have looked at this and gone, hang on a minute. You know, people who are completely non-conspiratorial have looked at it and gone, wait a second. You know, so this causes them to question every action of government. And so people are starting to see that this is actually a bit of a puppet show that we're participating in here. And so they've got to do what they can to try to disarm the people as quickly as possible, you know. Yes, an interesting little fact is West Texas shooting occurred one day before new state laws easing gun restrictions take effect. Just one day. <laughs> you can't write this. Mm, funny that, huh? Yeah, that's always the unusual thing, especially with, no, it, with Jeffrey Epstein, as you mentioned earlier. There's just too many little small anomo- uh, anomalies, rather, that just make you question things even further. Well, yeah, and you've got to wonder, I mean, is he even dead? I mean, maybe, maybe not. It's interesting, like, just before his alleged suicide, he went and changed all of his uh, his will and all of his, his finances, so they all get, all of his money gets funneled into all these companies and nobody knows who the beneficiary of all this stuff is. I mean, it could be him. He could have just been smuggled out of there and they could have him somewhere else and all of his money's being funneled to him. I mean, we just don't know. We can't possibly know. But even if he is dead, well, there's no way that he committed suicide. He was murdered. You know, if he's dead, then he was murdered. So either way, the official story just doesn't add up. And so many people have seen it and just gone, this this, this is, is not right. So, you know, it's causing the wheels to fall off the system. The fact that they would suicide him in that jail, you know. That's and, wild. And so obviously 
not what they're saying. I mean, it shows how desperate they are and it shows how much dirt this guy had on people that they had to get him out of the picture as quickly as possible, you know? And there's no way of knowing whether he's alive or dead is the problem, you know? I agree. And two cameras malfunctioned outside the jail cell where uh, Jeffrey Epstein died. So, I mean, come on. That's ridiculous. Yeah, if this was a movie, if this was a movie, you'd leave. I mean, you know, we've seen this script before too many times. Come up with something new. This is ridiculous. You know, had it where all the cameras just happened to fail, the guards just happened to go to sleep. This guy, the most important prisoner in the history of prisoners, is is there? You know, taken off suicide watch and left unattended. And I mean, come on, you know, you you can't you can't even make this sort of stuff up. It's it's just ridiculous. Like I said, if you saw it in a movie, you'd leave. So, you know, <laughs> yes. it shows how desperate they are, though. It shows, like, for them to – not yet, they didn't even have the nous to move into a jail where suicide would have been possible before they did it. They just did it, you know. So it, it shows how uh, how um, paranoid they are and how much they're losing control, how much they're scared people are waking up to what's going on, you know. It's really interesting, and it's picked up the last couple months. It seems like uh, 2019 has just been insane. People have lost their minds all over the place, especially here in the United States. States, Max. I'm not quite sure what it's like out there if people in that area have lost their minds out there in Australia, but certainly in the United States, people have lost it, my friends. Well, yeah, they have. And, um, you know, I said at the start of the year, I could feel that this was going to be um, a really, really big year, and we're going to see a lot of lot of stuff happening, a lot of changes happening this year, and we certainly have. I mean, a month after I said that, we saw the whole everything just go pear shaped, you know. And and people are, it is like people are losing their minds in some way, and you've got to wonder what's causing that. Whether it's it's just um, the information that they're getting, or whether it's 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 uh, there's deeper reasons for it. You know, looking at things such as history. I've been looking at history a lot lately, and looking at um, um, the the alleged cataclysms or what appears to be cataclysms that have happened recently and even looking into the Black Plague and a few things like this. The show that I released yesterday, I was talking about all this. And um, it, when you start reading through these reports of, of things um, when there were grand solar minimums and stuff, there's um, a lot of, lot of mental instability. There's a lot of strange things that start going on with people's minds as well. Now, we're electromagnetic beings. Everything is electrical. And this is an electrical universe more than anything else. And so I think there may be um, even um, larger things at play here, which is just causing everything to snowball, even as far as human consciousness. I mean, I know it's pretty out there to think about this sort of stuff. I think there are influences that are non-human that are, I'm not saying alien or anything. I'm just saying electromagnetic or ethereal or something. I think there's deeper things going on here as well, you know? Yes, there's different electromagnetic energies out there that you could definitely tap into and even control someone with certain frequencies cause different sort of reactions in that individual. Well, yeah, I mean, they could do this sort of stuff with 5G and all that sort of stuff as well. If you right. start looking into DARPA patents and you start looking at what they can do with electromagnetic interference into the human condition, I mean, it's all quite out there. It's all there in their patents. You can go and read that on the CIA website, on the DARPA website. Um, you can see in, in their own words what they already know they can do with this sort of stuff, cause mood swings in, in the public and whatever. 
They've even done experiments where they've experimented on vast sections of population, like whole cities and whole counties, with electromagnetic interference to see what it would uh, induce in them. And you can read all the reports on their websites. So we know this is possible. But when you think about that, you know, the concept of them attempting to do it with 5G and the technology they're putting in place, what I'm suggesting is maybe there's something even bigger beyond them, maybe the sun or whatever, how this, this universe works, how everything interacts with each other. You know, perhaps we don't really take into account the effect that this sort of stuff has on human consciousness as well. I mean, when you look at things such as the, the full moon and all this sort of stuff, you know, werewolves and, you know, how, how the police um, always get more reports of murders and, and people go crazy on full moons. That's you know? true. So yes. there's all sorts of uh, weird electromagnetic stuff going on, you know, and I think is there's even deeper and bigger things that we're simply not taking into account, possibility anyway. I think you might be right about that, but also uh, we jumped a little bit ahead of a few things I did want to ask you about. And one of those things was going through your website, Max. It was almost like going back to uh, websites back in 98 when I first got uh, my computer. And I don't mean that as an insult to you. I just love the nostalgic feeling I got as soon as I went to your page and looked at some of your uh, artwork there. It brought me back to a, a lot of things, Max, especially some of the clan artwork you made uh, for the video game Quake. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff there that um, I didn't actually make artwork for Quake, but I used to. I used to be in a game in a clan, clan though, and we yes, used to. Right. Um, we used to tailor the scenes ourselves. We used to dress up the the, in, the interior of the game ourselves and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, I mean, I like the old website. I like the old HTML website. I Me don't too. like the new um, WordPress websites. They look like a phone app, and I don't I don't use a cell phone. And uh, I like the art. I like the artiness of it. I, I like art, and I like to create things myself. I, mean, I, I made every pixel on that website, and I enjoyed doing it. And um, yeah, I've never wanted to change it. I find also with WordPress sites, if you go outside their rules, I mean, if you start saying stuff that isn't politically correct, they may delete your website because you've got oh. to abide by WordPress community standards. It's kind of like Facebook. It's the Facebook of websites, you know. So um, I've never gone over to WordPress and I won't ever go over to WordPress. And I just like the nostalgic feel of the site as well. I mean, I, I don't get to update it as much as I'd like to these days. I just don't have time. I don't even get to make the video clips I'd like to make these days for my radio show. I tend to get half a clip done and then I, I just don't have time. And I have to fill it up with um, with just graphics that I've used a million times. Yeah, it takes, it's it, just it takes the a time, time to do anything. I wonder whether the days are getting shorter because I'm sure I used to get so much more done in a day than what I do now. And I work faster now than I, I did then. So I don't know what they're doing with the time as well. It's going to be messy with everything. <laughs> yeah, everything does take a great deal of time. And of course, it says that you are a musician as well. Um, how far back do you go, Max, playing music? Well, I started playing guitar when I was when I was like five years old. I realized I wanted to be a musician, but mm-hmm. I didn't actually get a guitar until I was about ten or twelve. And I started playing back then. And I, I left school when I was as soon as I was old enough to leave school. I walked out in my third year of high school. Oh wow! And I became a musician, and uh, I spent most of my life as a musician, traveling around and just playing guitar and doing front of house and having a great time, you know. And I got to live on the outside of society for most of my life, which was great. And I love that. It gave me a kind of unique insight. And and being a musician, I mean, if you're a half decent musician, everybody wants to talk to you, so you get to meet lots of people. So you know, I've I've sat in the and I've had in-depth conversations with, with drunken black people and, and white people and all sorts of people. And I've sat and had dinners with uh, royalty. 
So, you know, uh, I've met people from all walks of life in the travels that I've made around the world simply because of being a musician and being yeah. an open sort of a person, you know. I understand completely. And it was great. Yeah. And I always steered away from fame because I saw what it did to people. I never wanted to be a famous musician because, you know, when, when I'd be in a band and they'd, they'd, you know, they'd want to put out a single or whatever, then they'd want to start molding us and, and training us to be something that I wasn't, you know. They wanted to turn me into something that wasn't me. And I thought, well, I don't want to do that because you know, I see people, I see these famous people and I see what happens to them and I see so many people, so many of my friends have died along the way through the journey. And um, I look at it, I look back at it now and I think, well, it was great that I had that attitude because you know, when I was a young guitar player, when I was 22, 23 years old, I was probably one of the best guitar players in Australia. I mean, a lot of people told me, you know, I don't know why you're not world famous. And mm. I said, well, it's because I don't want to be because I see what it does to people. And the problem is that when I look back at my life, you know, I would have liked the fortune, but I didn't want the fame. I didn't want to be able to have people stop me when I was walking down the street and want to say hello to me and all that sort of stuff. I used to get that anyway. You know, I used to meet people and people say, oh, you're that guy I've heard about. I used to hate that, you know, and it would have been even worse if I was famous. Oh, so, yeah. you know, I didn't want that. And I look, like I said, I look back at my life now and I was a very, I had an addictive personality. I had a, a mm. I wasn't the nicest person. I mean, I was never a bad person, but I was, you know, I had a bit of ego going on. I was a long haired rock and roll guitar player. So you had a couple, you had a couple of vices. I had a bit of stuff going. And plus, I, I felt invincible the way you do when you're 22, 23 years old. And if I'd, if I'd made a million dollars by the time I was 25, I would have been dead by the time I was 27. I would have been one in the dead at 27 club because I had that type of a personality. I wouldn't have handled that type of money. I would have done everything you can think of to, to destroy myself if I did that, that, that much money at that age. And Max, by the so way. So when I look back at the universe, it, it yeah. guided me in the right way, you know? Understood. And Max, I was just going to quickly tag on. Did you have any sort of vices as well, like, you know, normally, traditionally, uh, most musicians have in the past. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I used, okay. to, I used to drink a lot. I used the to bottle. smoke a lot of weed. You know, okay. I did all sorts of drugs, you know. Um, That's normal. But I never, I was never a drug addict, but I, you know, I did all sorts of stuff. I mean, but, but if I'd had the money, I mean, I probably would have been a lot worse is the problem, you know, and you're invincible at that age when you're a young guitar player and, and everyone thinks you're incredible, you know, and you've got a million dollars. Right. You end up like Kurt Cobain, you know. That's Gee, true. I wonder if I can shoot myself in the head, you know. He couldn't handle Kurt, it. Even Kurt Cobain said he used to enjoy when he used to be able to walk to a music store and look at a guitar on the wall and go, wow, and dream about owning that guitar one day. Now he can walk into the store and buy the whole store if he wants to, and it's boring. You know, that's the that's the problem. It, it takes the magic out of the music. I just wanted to play music. I just love music. I just wanted to play guitar. I didn't want to be famous. I just wanted to, I didn't care if I was sitting in the dirt. I used to think the whole concept of getting up on the stage with the light show and all the stuff and the people cheering, it was so pretentious. It wasn't about music. It was this obscene, thing that happened, you know, and, and in, you go to a poor country, you sit around in the dirt and, and, the, and the slop and the, and the dust and you, you just play with the people off the street and the music reaches these incredible heights, you know, you don't get that. In, in the Western world, we, we put it up on the, the stage and this whole commercial thing takes place, right, you yeah. know, it's, it's a whole different world. And I just wanted to play music. So um, it, it got me through that world. It got me, it was interesting because when I was four, I found out something was terribly wrong with the world, you know, because we had to buy land and all this 
sort of stuff. When I was eight, I found out about the pyramids, and so I put all the Batman comics down. I wanted to know about ancient history from that point on. Interesting. And then, you know, I, I got to school, and I started arguing with all my teachers because they were teaching us stuff that I'd, I'd read different stuff in books, and I couldn't figure out why they weren't teaching us the real things, mm. or at least teaching us to question, teaching us to expand our minds. They seemed to be, you know, locking us into this little box and training us to be little cogs in the big machine. And I just went, no, I don't want to do this, you know. So I argued with all my teachers. I got kicked out of four high schools, uh, and then I became a musician and only had to work maybe, you know, 20 or 30 hours a week. Not even that, you know, like just 10, 15 hours a week sometimes. And, and get paid more than what most people were getting paid in normal jobs. And it gave me the ability to be able to have all this free time to go and research all the stuff I wanted to research and travel around the world and meet all these people from all these different lives and do all the stuff I wanted to do to answer all these questions. And then when it got to the point where I had the information then the universe took everything away from me. All my music got stolen, all this stuff happened, and I had no other option other than to become uh, immerse myself in my research and become an activist and put all the information that I gathered along the way to use and do what I'm doing now. So it's an interesting thing, you know. That's a, and yeah. um, that's just how my life worked. But it's because I didn't ever want that, that um, thing that they called success because to me success was um, to be a successful person it's, it's, it's how well you treated others it's, it's how good your health is it's how much you enjoy a quality of life and a quality of life being doing that which you enjoy which and I enjoy just sitting in the trees and, and feeding the chickens and having a very very simple life so you know and I enjoy people I'm a real people person so to me that is quality of life and to me that is success because you're, your success is me by the amount of people you, you help and the amount of friends that you have. To me, that that's success anyway. So, and you, you brought yeah. up uh, Kurt Cobain, by the way. That's a very interesting point you made. And, of course, he's someone who couldn't handle it either. And uh, he was, of course, addicted to uh, drugs. And he thought he could handle it. And look where that got him. And it's interesting because the best musicians, in my opinion, have always been addicted to heroin, even though that's not exactly PC to say. But all the best ones have been. It's quite ironic, Max. Well, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting drug heroin. A lot of people that I know used to use heroin. Um, they talked me into it once, and I used it a little bit, and then I got it. I got an addiction. Uh -oh. One day I realized that I was addicted It mm. just because I had that extra bit. And as soon as I wanted to have more, as soon as my body went into toxic shock because I didn't have any, this was only after using it for a few days, you know, um, I just went, oh, my God, I've, I've got, I'm addicted. And I stopped. And I never, ever had any sense. I went into cold turkey for four days and just did that. That's so good. now I've, I know what that feels like too. Yeah, so I know good. what heroin addiction feels like and I know what cold turkey feels like. And I'll tell you that there was one time when I went on stage and I was on heroin. Ooh. And I went, wow, I know why musicians use heroin. Because when I was playing, I felt so connected to the music. I don't know whether it sounded as good. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But I I know how connected and how much in the flow of the music I was when I was on heroin. And like I said, I only used it for probably a week. You know, but then I, I, I had it, I had some every day, at least once a day. Mm -hmm. Everything was good. And then there, there was one day where I had some twice in a day. And then three hours later, my body went into, into lockdown. I went, Oh, oh, okay. That's what happens. Yeah. 
<laughs> don't want this. That's good. You not recognize that. Not in control that. of my own reality now. Not in control of my body. Not in control of anything. So right. that's it. I stopped. And um, people couldn't understand it, saying, well, you've got some there. Why, why are you going through all this pain? I said, because I'm addicted. I, I don't want to be addicted to anything. So, But it was interesting. Like I said, it, it, the universe gave me that perspective. I understand what, what heroin's like now. I understand why people use it. I understand how good it makes you feel. And I also understand the pain of withdrawal and what people go through when they stop using it because I've done it. But uh, that doesn't I mean. But I was never a drug addict. I was never someone that was out there using heroin all the time and involved right, right. in that scene. You know, I was just around people who were using it. And after about freaking two years, they managed to actually talk me into talk you into it. Yeah, I was like, okay, this is interesting. And um, but now I know. Anyway, now I know it's just all part of the experience. You know, exactly. It's all part of life, really. And it's terrible when you see someone you love, however, go through something like alcohol withdrawal, which I've seen. Uh, with my own very eyes, and that is also another one that's really hard for people to um, get clean of. It's heroin and alcohol, the worst. Yeah, they're, they're, they're terrible, terrible drugs. I mean, alcohol is, is worse than heroin, really. I mean, the reason you get so addicted to heroin is because it's such uh, a, a biological, natural drug for you. It's very, very similar to your own metabolism, and so your body stops producing certain things, and it uses the heroin because that's what it does. So I know, I've known people, like I, I had a a friend of my father's who was a morphine addict, same thing really, morphine heroin is just right. know, a different different sort of form of the same drug. But he was a morphine addict from World War II and I knew him in the 1980s and he was in his 80s and he was still a morphine addict and he was a, a very, very healthy man. He just used enough to put his body back into balance, didn't use it to get out of it or anything, he wasn't on drugs. But he'd been a morphine addict for like 40 years, this guy. Wow. And um, it didn't affect his health at all. So that's the thing. But alcohol just destroys your body, absolutely, completely destroys you. And it's a terrible thing. But these these sorts of things, I mean, drug addiction, this is this shouldn't be a, a legal issue. This is a health issue. And it's a social issue. And, and drug addicts and people with these problems should not be locked up in jails. They, they should be healed. You know? And what most of them, them need is, is love and understanding. And we do terrible things. So heroin addicts, we put them on methadone and stuff like that, which is far more addictive than heroin, far more damaging. They'd be better off using heroin than methadone. So yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, it's like you know, yeah, it's like take this. This will help you. But it's in fact yeah, it's worse. shocking. It's shocking what we do. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a social issue and it's a health issue, and you should get the legalities right out of it. You know, you you really should. I mean, what they did in Amsterdam when they legalized all drugs in in Holland, it it basically solved the drug problem because people didn't want to use those sorts of drugs anymore. People only really want to use them when they're illegal. That's 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 the big attraction for kids right. anyway. Oh, we can do something sneaky, you know. So hey, you definitely lose that. Yeah, you definitely lose it, especially as uh, someone who, you know, occasionally drank during high school. You would say to yourself, oh, I can't wait till I'm 21 and I could buy beer. And then once you actually hit 21, you're not even drinking very much at all. Yeah, well, that's the thing. My parents used to let me drink when I was a child. That They'd give me a, cl a glass of beer when I was like seven, eight years old. And um, by the time I, I started high school, School and coming out, I, I wasn't interested in drinking at all. You're basically all. American. You know, I mean, I did, I did, <laughs> I did drink a little bit of. Um, I was a bit of a bourbon drinker when I was a, when I was a musician. I think that just goes with being a guitar player. I don't know, but um, um, then I just stopped that as well. I mean, it just uh, I was never really addicted to alcohol. I never really addicted to drugs, but you know, I, I dabbled in things. Right. But then one day I just decided I didn't. I didn't like drinking anymore. I just didn't like the way it made me feel. So you know. 
Yeah, so you were just able to sort of guide yourself without having to uh, use the gimmicks then, drugs. Well, yeah, yeah. And I still like smoking weed. It, it, uh, sure. I, I enjoy, I enjoy weed. I've done, I've smoked weed since I was 12 and I probably oh, well, always will. It's legal here, Max. So you can enjoy that, uh, quite, um, fine here in California. Yeah. Yeah. I'd definitely go for that. And of course, one more. It's th- an ally for me, you know. Ah, it, yes. It's, um, it, 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 it helps. It helps. I got so much stuff rattling around in my head. I mean, a lot of people smoke weed and it, um, it messes them up. They, they can't get focus. But for me, when I smoke weed, it gives me focus. I'm actually able to, you could function. Um, yeah. Correlate my thoughts and put them into some sort of focus and get a, a decent thought stream happening. So it's just, uh, it just works, you know, for me. Right. For some people it doesn't, but it yeah. does for me. Everyone's different. And you're someone, Max, that I could already tell that you're someone who's creative and that you could use these sort of things and it actually helps your creativity as it would for most individuals out there who have, I guess, a, some sort of tolerance, some, some other individuals who don't regularly consume uh, marijuana whatsoever. You know, they take a few hits or whatever it is out of a bong or any means and they flip out. Everyone is a little bit different. And of course, different uh, strains cause different sort of effects on the individual. That all comes down to that person's mental health. And just like we were talking about earlier, uh, mental health is very important. That's why you have all these people out there uh, going nuts out there all around the world, Max. Their mental health is uh, severely yeah, lacking. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's, it's weird though. I mean, it's just, it's coming this year and it's, it's getting more and more and more, I think. I think we're going to see, you know, more of it. I think we're going to see society getting crazier and crazier over the next, um, you know, over the next decade. Um, Probably right. And I think a lot of it is, is electromagnetic, you know? Yeah. Some people have been uh, telling me about the year 2020, uh, January 2020. I'm not quite sure what's coming, but a lot of uh, individuals out there who quote unquote channel have been telling me about this. Uh, many individuals. I'm not quite sure what's coming and I'm not quite sure what your opinion is, Max, on those who claim they're channeling uh, whatever it is they're doing, Max. I don't know where you are along those lines, but I would love to know your opinion on that. Well, you know, 2020, it's an interesting date, isn't it? Oh, yes. Like, um, you wonder whether that's going to be when we all start seeing things clearly. Ah. Now, what do they call it? 2020 vision. Mm. Interesting thing. Why not 10-10 vision? Why not 100% vision? Why 2020? What's what's going on with that number? There's a lot of people um, say well, one thing about 2020 is that the the whole smart grid will probably be online by 2020. Um, but I think what we're really when we're really going to see some major changes is around about probably 2040. But the thing is, like what I was mentioning earlier, the grand solar minimums. Yeah. This is going to be interesting. When you look at grand solar minimums, if you look at in the past, either the 1600s, uh, there was a grand solar minimum in the 1600s when all the maps changed. Um, all sorts of stuff happened, you know, pestilence, all sorts of things. Another one in the 1800s and all the maps changed again in the uh, 1800s. And we are heading for a grand solar minimum now. We just moved into it actually in 2019. The electromagnetics have changed. Sunspot activity is starting to die down and will be in full swing of the solar minimum by 2040. 
So I think that is affecting things as well. And I think that's going to have a major effect on uh, people's consciousness. And possibly, you know, we'll see some of that in, in next year. I mean, there's all sorts of people saying, um, predicting things to happen in, in January, 1st of January, 2020. I don't know how they can come up with these specific dates like that. Right. But it'll be interesting to see. I mean, interesting to see. Perhaps there is some sort of a etheric conjunction or whatever. I mean, who knows? Who knows? I mean, I, I just go with the flow these days, brother. I choose not to believe anything. Uh, yes. And um, wise. It's like if you if you can think of um, the concept of, like I said, about having no fear before. Mm-hmm. You know how to get through this and how to get through this world. How to get through everything that's coming and have no stake in the outcome. Because I mean, a lot, a lot of the information we look at, when people get a stake in the outcome. They go into fear. They think all these terrible things are going to happen. It, they get depressed over it. They, they you know want to lock themselves away. You know what you've got to be able to do is um, just see life as being. Truly, how awesome it really is. I mean, just the fact that we're here is 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 awe-inspiring. It is just the fact that I can look outside and see trees and grass and sky and that I can actually be sitting here having a conversation with someone on the other side of the world who is essentially part of the same consciousness that I belong to, of the collective consciousness of mankind, of the universe, of God, of whatever you want to call it. You know, it's absolutely, absolutely awe-inspiring to be alive. Life is a, a, a state of constant awe. If you can just allow each second to unfold, and that—that that is a trick to getting through life, is to be able to face uncertainty, to be able to face infinity with no stake in the outcome, to be able to face infinity without flinching, you know, because you don't know what's coming next. Anything is possible. The only thing that is not possible is that which you believe is not possible, and this is all based on your belief system. You know, and, and we don't even know a tenth of one percent of what's going on in this universe ultimately. So, you know, if you can face infinity without flinching, then you can get through any situation. And so that's why I have no stake in the outcome of any of this. I often tell people, you know, belief is the enemy of knowledge because you're only halfway down the path. You don't know what's coming next. And if you adopt a belief system, then it's going to be all this stuff that you miss out on You're simply because you don't believe it's real. I mean, what about the stuff that exists outside visible light that we could probably even see if we could believe that we can see outside visible light? You know, it's what our science has taught us is real, what our society has taught us is real, and we really have no clue. So you've got to be able to look at the world and look at infinity without flinching. That's how to get through everything. That way nothing surprises you. That way you don't have any fear of anything. It's all just part of the journey. You know, I mean, if I was to get arrested and thrown in jail, that's just the next part of the journey. If someone was to come along and shoot me in Philadelphia, it's just the next part of the journey. You know, no stake in the outcome of any of this, brother. I'm only here for a breath. Especially now, if what you... What we came here to do <laughs> ultimately is... I was just going to quickly well, say... Well, yeah, what we came here ultimately to do is die. I mean, that, that's a given, you know? Well, right. So why, why have it... It may be that this is a, a soul test. This is... this is. It isn't... It isn't. Um, what's most important is how you die. What's most important is the mental state you're in, whether you face that without flinching, because maybe that's the real journey, because this life is so short. Right. How come we come here with all this incredible intelligence and all this incredible complexity of human nature, and we only live for 50 or 100 years? It's ridiculous. I mean, this can't be all there is. Perhaps this is simply the exam that you do before the real test, before the real journey starts and the real existence starts. I mean, we don't know. So you've got to be able to face it without flinching, all of it. We definitely are born to die, Max, as they say. And uh, speaking of that, Max, 
Where do you align yourself in terms of religion? Are you a religious person, Max, at all? No, I don't do religion at all. Um, I believe in a higher power. I believe in what you would call God, but I don't need religion to get in the way of that relationship. Understood. I'm an agnostic atheist myself. I pretty much feel the same way you do, Max. Keep Jesus yeah, I mean, in I, reserve. I think, Never know. I think there is there is a higher intelligence that people would call God, but I don't need someone else's interpretation of that. I don't, I don't need um, a book written by King James. I don't trust the king anyway. Um, Same here. And I, I don't need someone else to tell me what that connection is. I have a great relationship with God, um, and I don't need anybody else to get in the way. So um, I think it's when people, you know, people look for the answers externally to themselves, and all the answers can be found within. Right. Now, if you want to get religious, even Christ said that. So, you know, people are looking in the wrong direction. People are afraid to know themselves, really. And um, that's where the that's where the truth lies. That's the only truth you'll ever know is yourself. I like that. And Max, what really got you started down this path in terms of activism? What what case was it exactly that really opened your mind and sort of guided you along uh, this sort of path that you're on today, Max? Well, look, I became active um you know, publicly active the way I am and, and making the movies and films and radio show and stuff. When 9-11 happened, I just thought it was a, a need to do it. But what started me on the journey was when I was four years old and my, my parents told me we had to buy land. And I was horrified at the concept of buying land, you know, because I, 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 I thought, how, how can you own the earth? Would we have to pay to, to be here? We have to pay to be alive? We have to pay to have a roof over our heads? I couldn't understand why we couldn't just go and live in the forest. And I had a terrible childhood from that point because, you know, I just couldn't – I thought I was born into a madhouse. And so I just wanted to find find a way through it. And, and you know, I found a way through it as a musician, but that became a bubble for me. I lived in that bubble for a long time. But um, then when 9-11 happened, I thought, well, hang on, this is this is serious. All this, this is the big event we've been waiting for that we thought was going to happen and, you know, it's going to usher in this new world order they want to usher in and all that sort of stuff, you know, which is essentially the control grid and the smart grid. And I, I thought, well, it's now necessary to put all of this uh, this knowledge that I've got into, into action. I've got to start telling people about the, the clear and present danger we're now facing. So that's kind of what got me started publicly. I mean, and when 9-11 happened, I was hitting chat rooms and all sorts of stuff like that. I didn't really know how to harness the power of the internet. I didn't find out about YouTube until 2007 or 2008. It, I think it only started in 2005 anyway, YouTube. But so I thought it was just a place where high school kids uploaded their videos and stuff. So I'd never really looked at it. But um, then I found out that there was this whole sort of truth movement on YouTube. So I started doing that. I thought well, that's a good way to get the word out to people. So, but um, yeah, I've been on this. I've been on this path all my, my whole life. But like I said, I kind of avoided it. For I a see. long time. You know, I stayed in the bubble. But when I, I can look back, like I said, but the universe kept me in that bubble because I didn't have all the information I needed yet. And it wasn't until I got in the point that I, I had all the information and then the universe took everything away from me and didn't give me any other option. It was either that or commit suicide or just immerse myself in my research because oh, I had nothing left but the shirt on my back. Did it really come down and, to um, that though, Max? Suicide. Well, I got to the point where I, I lost everything that, that ever meant anything to me. Yeah, music see. had been my whole life and I was the musician guy and, and music was, was where I went for my source of strength. And when my ex-wife stole all my music uh -oh. and 
stole my stereo, stole my whole music collection, all this stuff, you know, and suddenly music became my source of pain and I didn't have anywhere to go to find strength because my source of strength had become my source of pain and it was a weird place to be in and oh, all man. I had left was my, my mental faculties and my research that, that I'd always been fascinated in, in history and, and what happened and why we were in that state and uh, I was in a pretty bad Bad mental state. I mean, I'd, I'd, I was, I'd been living in a homeless shelter. I'd, I'd, I'd sort of brought myself back from that. And every time I get a, a little bit up the ladder, my ex-wife would come along and just stick the knife in and do something else to me and take something else from me and ban me from seeing my son. All sorts of things. She tried everything she could to destroy me. Right. And when she took absolutely everything from me, I suddenly became free. It was the greatest gift anybody had ever given to me when I lost everything, every single thing that I owned, almost everything that I owned. Um, I still have a few things stashed away in storage, but everything, like all my music stuff, you know, when I lost that, it was the greatest pain I ever experienced, but it was the greatest gift that had ever been given to me. Yeah, that's a chicken. Um, <laughs> shut yeah, up. The, the chat room there. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, um, so it freed me and, and I lost, I lost attachment for all personal possessions. I realized how meaningless it all was. You know, how I had, I had been, uh, like I said, I was the music guy. I was the music. I was my music collection. I was all this stuff that I had, you know, but I wasn't me. It was, it was a distraction from, from being me. And it was a bubble that I was hiding in to not ever have to face being me and not ever have to share being me to the world around me, you know, so. Like I said, it was an incredible source of pain and I could have gone that way and taken it as painful and just said, well, that's it. I'm over. Everything that means anything to me is now gone and there's no point in being here. And those thoughts crossed my mind. But then suddenly I just felt free. I just felt like, wow, now I don't have anything to hold me back. I don't have – I could just go and do anything. I don't have to – I could go and travel again. I can do whatever I want to do because – there's nothing here to hold me here. There's no stake in anything anymore. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, what's important is me. I've got what I came into the world with, and now I've got that time for reflection. I can look at my life and say, well, why has it brought me to this point? And it's obviously brought me to this point because now I'm supposed to step onto this path, and so I stepped onto it. And it's been it's been like a blessing yeah. stepping onto this path of activism. Um, it's just all unfolded, but I couldn't have done it had I not lived my life as a musician beforehand. And I right. couldn't have done that had I not left school in the third year of high school. And I wouldn't have done that had I not gone into the forest with my parents when I was four years old and asked them why we couldn't live in the forest, you know? So well, I look back at it, you know, and even, even understanding what it's like to go through a broken relationship, what it's like to not be able to see your child, what it's like to be addicted to drugs, what it's like to go through a withdrawal, what it's like to be a homeless person. I can even share something with you that I don't share with many people that I've, I've been yeah, ahead, coming Max. to terms with that I can share lately as well, yeah. is that when I was about, I don't even know, I think three, three or four years old, I was raped on the beach. Oh, my God. By nice. a man. So I know what it's like to be an abused child. I know what it's like to go through all of that stuff. So um, That's pretty I, heavy. I've done all my – I've lived in a storm drain and I've lived in a mansion. You know, I've been an abused child. I've been a drug addict. I've been a, a famous you know, guitar player. Well, not famous, but I've been at the, playing in front of thousands of people, you know, and, and been the adoration of the crowd. I've done all sorts of stuff, you know, and, and so I can relate to people on so many different levels. And when I look at it, I, I, I look 
back at my life and I go, all of it was a gift. Every single thing that happened to me was a gift because all of it brought me to where I am now and made me the person that I am now. And I think I'm, a, I'm an okay person. I, I think I, I've got value. I can, I can, I've helped people. I, yeah, I'm, sure. I'm a worthwhile person. I'm a good friend, you know, and that's something I always ask myself and that's something people should ask themselves. Are you the type of friend that you would want to have as a friend? You know, that's something we never ask. You know, are you the sort of person that if you met yourself, would you want to be, be a friend with this person? Would you see this as, as being a, a wonderful person you want to be around? You know, I so, think, yeah, I think at times um, we do definitely go through that uh, at one time or another in our lives, whether it's through, um, maybe drug use or even alcohol use, you definitely come back to that sort of mindset where you ask yourself, am I a good person? Everyone definitely goes through that. No doubt, Max. Well, it isn't just are you a good person. It's are you the type of person you would want to have as a friend? Are you the type of friend you would want to have as a friend? Right, right. Yeah, you know, and we we mm-hmm. we get so we get we get led even when you get back to religion, we get led little certain ways by subtle nuances. Those things like um, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Well, that's not a good thing to do because maybe you're a sociopath. You know, <laughs> yes. maybe you're 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 a masochist. You know, it should be do not do unto others that which you would not have done unto you. Also, Max, that uh, subtle shift. Yes, and also, no good deed goes unpunished, Max. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the way it goes. <laughs> oh yes. Well, Max, I do really appreciate you opening up here and telling me about that ordeal. I had no idea that you actually went through something that uh, disturbing and that awful, Max. I'm glad you were able to get over whatever it was during that time period. I- I'm sure the mental anguish that you must have experienced after something like that happened to you, Max. That I- I'm not quite sure how old you well, were. Well, it's a weird thing. Yeah, it's got to be It's a weird, weird thing because I didn't, re- I didn't remember half of the day until I was Man. about 45 years old. Jesus. There was always this day that I couldn't remember half of. What I remember is that suddenly when I was four years old, I started soiling my, my underwear again, and that, that went on until I was about six. Ah. And I never understood why because I never knew I was doing it. It just used to run out, but it's because all my, my bowel muscles were torn. Mm. And, you know, but I didn't remember any of this stuff. And it all flooded back into my mind when I was about 45 years old. And my mind, had, you know, the human mind is an interesting thing and it protects you from this sort of stuff. Right, right. And um, I'd always had this day that had gotten up to this certain point. You know, I'd been taken to the beach by my mother and my mother, we went there with another man and this this family guy who had a kiosk on the beach and, you know, we were friends with that family and uh, my mother and this guy who went there and she was ended up, she was having an affair with this guy. I didn't know. I was, you know, I was like four or five years old. She told me to go and play in the in the, in the the shallows of the water. I'm saying it's a terrible day. It's a I was really excited. I remember getting my bucket and my spade. I was really excited to go to the beach that day. And and we, she told me to go play in the water. And I went down to the – I said, it's a terrible day, Mom, you know. And why does he want to open the kiosk when it's so windy and there's no one at the beach, you know. And um, I went down to the water and the waves came in and nearly grabbed me and nearly dragged me out to sea. And I nearly drowned. And I was so terrified. I was like, must have been four years old, I think. I don't know. And um, I was crying and I ran back up to the kiosk and I pushed the door open. And she was lying on the floor with the man and they were doing things. And she closed the door and said, I told you to go play. And, and I sat out on the edge of the kiosk and I just, I cried for a while. And then this man walked up to me. And told me, you know, come and eat some lunch with him, and he ended up, yeah. Oh no! It, uh, it all turned. Yeah. I remember having, I remember sitting with him, and, and he telling me we were playing a game, we were stuffing our mouth full of sandwiches. And as soon as I had my mouth full of sandwiches, he threw some tape over my mouth, and it sort of oh, went from there. But I couldn't remember. Goodness. 
anything past sitting there and eating sandwiches and laughing with this man. Yeah. I could never remember the rest of the day until I was about 45 years old. So the, the mind does does interesting things It like does that. suppress those sort of and, memories, uh, no doubt. And um, when, when, you know, when the trauma came up, I was able to deal with it because I was in, in a place and I was in, in, you know, I was old enough to be able to deal with it. Right. But it really answered a lot of questions for me um, about the actions of my mother, about why we moved away from the city we were in without the rest of the family, just her and I moved away quickly and all sorts of stuff happened because she was a single mother. This was the 60s. Single mother having an affair with a married man on the beach. Yeah, a young yeah. boy gets raped. I mean, she would have lost her children. She, you know, she never told anybody about it. She never told the rest of our family about it. Uh, and she died before I could question her about it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So it was something that I had to deal with on my own. And uh, I've always thought, oh, mum, you know, I wish I could have just said to your mum what happened on that day, you know. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, and that's more than I've ever shared of any of that. That's I'm glad you, you you need to. Story. Yeah, I'm glad you said that though, yeah. Max, because it's best that you definitely get these things out there. Uh, definitely, people do care about you, Max. I, I definitely want you to know that uh, people do genuinely care about you, and they they really do appreciate you uh, being and being as honest as you have been here tonight. It's you know that's the heavy but, heavy stuff you're dropping here tonight. But it's a it's it's a it, it shows the power that we have though. I mean, I've been that far down the tube. This is yes, why I sir. keep saying to people, you, yeah. it, it, the, the concept that I'm someone special, I'm not. I'm you. I'm like everybody. I've been through all the same shit that everybody's been through. Right, right. You know, and I can relate to that. And and the fact that you can you can be so far down the tube and don't ever think that you cannot come back. Don't ever think that you are not worthwhile. Don't ever think that you cannot make a difference. Because look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look That's what I've done. I managed to meet thousands, millions of people I've reached. Some of my videos have got millions of views. That's some true. Of my videos. So. You know, one small person, one small voice who is just prepared to be honest enough with themselves to be honest with other people can make a difference. And it doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter about the death threats. It doesn't matter about people who think differently. You call you a shill, or call you this, or call you an agent, call you whatever because you're not thinking in the same box as them. It doesn't matter. None of it means shit. True. What, makes, what matters is, is the lives you can help by being yourself and being prepared to be yourself and understanding what you are and what's brought you to this point and realizing that all the things that happen to you happen for a reason. And it's what you do with the information. You know, I could have committed suicide. I could have, when I look at my life, all the bad shit that's happened to just about anybody, I've been through the whole lot of it myself. I've been through so much shit in my life. And I could have easily gone the other way, but I chose to use it as information to empower myself and to empower others. Because if I can empower others by my journey, that will maybe prevent them from having to go through that. And ultimately, I need people to wake up. I want everybody to wake up because I want to be free. And I can't be free until everybody's free. So, you know, what are we contributing to that? And, and even in this so-called truth movement, all this stuff that we do, what what's the meaning of it all if it isn't about freedom? That's what it's always been about, is freedom. That's what this whole thing's about. And the freedom to express ourselves and be ourselves and realize that all of this stuff happens to, to keep us back and to keep us from being free. But it's the, it's the choices we make. It's what we choose to do with the information that comes to us. You know, you're on a path and everything that happens to you is simply information that is coming into your consciousness and it's what you do with it, you know. So, you know, you could have, I could have done the wrong thing. I could have come, become violent, could have become a thief, could have got a chip on both shoulders and gone out and taken out my anger and frustrations on the rest of the world and hurt people if I wanted to. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, that's not what it's about. It's not what I 
chose to do with the information. So, you know, don't ever think that you're not worthwhile. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. It's all been for a reason. And, and, and you know, like I said, I look back at all of that stuff that happened to me and I see it now as a gift because it brought me to right where I am now sitting here having this conversation with you, being able to share this with people and maybe being able to help their lives. So, you know, that's yeah. what it's all about. I think you will. Yeah, I think you definitely will reach those out there who have gone through uh, something traumatic in their lives as well. And I definitely like to remind everyone out there and those people too, uh, how quickly life can turn around in an instant, Max. Uh, definitely don't give up on yourself. Not you, Max, but anyone listening to this. Uh, life can quickly turn around for you in an instant, oh, yeah, my friends. Absolutely. All those things that we thought were terrible, that, that really, really bad moment you had 20 years ago when your whole world fell apart and you wanted to kill yourself. How do you feel about it now? Doesn't mean shit, eh? Right. Doesn't matter. You know, it all changes. It doesn't matter. Just don't hold on to this stuff, you know? Right, right, right. And I'm sorry to to change the subject very quickly here, but I also forgot to mention that I did get a chance to hear some of your recordings on your website, by the way, some of the um, audio that you've made. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were just a few old things that I had around. I didn't have much left. When my ex-wife stole all my music, she deleted all my stuff, <laughs> took all my recordings. Oh, so that was just a few digital things that I had. But I had all my old band tapes. I had so much stuff. She and, went um, right for yeah, the. She, uh, she went right for the jugular on you there, Max. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Took the whole lot. <laughs> and then it wouldn't, it wouldn't let me get it back. It said possessions nine tenths of the law. If you try to make a fuss, I won't let you see your son. So it was the end of that. Yes, I hear you. And by the way, did you even record those guitar parts too, specifically on the nine eleven song? Yeah, yeah, they're all. That's all my, all my oh, stuff. Damn, Max, you you are pretty good. I used to be. That wasn't that good then. I, I was when I was earlier. Um, I recorded all that stuff when I was probably fifty years old. You know, it still sounds Maybe good. Maybe forty-five. You know, I've been so, playing. When I was twenty-five. Twenty-five. When I was twenty-five. I was playing some good shit. I understood. I've been playing in a band and been playing guitar and bass for for most of my life. To be honest with you, I've done a lot of recordings, but you know, I prefer the bass. There's something really rewarding about that low end. Not sure why. Yeah. Yeah, if you can play it well, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I love it. A good rhythm section is a, is a good band. Definitely. And Max, you are an an analog man, right? You're definitely not for the digital age. No, I even like digital music. You know, digital mixes. You know, you, you're mixing with a with digital. It sounds like glass. It 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 sounds layered. You can see through each layer. I could understand you can hear some of that. each layer separately, and I, I don't like that. I don't like the the warmth of it. I mean, I don't mm. like the the coldness of it. I like the warmth of the bleed between the tracks and the analog. You know, um, a digital mix. It's the only way I can describe it. It sounds like glass. You know? <laughs> I could I can understand what you mean by that. Definitely. You know, you can you can literally hear the layers. You kind of you know, can. It too, kind of too floats. much clarity. It, it in, sort of in, floats in, above the sound for some reason. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. My father, my father, before he died, when when radio and everything and TV went digital, he couldn't watch TV anymore, and he couldn't listen to radio anymore. He had to go and buy. He went and bought an old transistor radio, battery operated, and he used to listen to that. Wow. Because he, he couldn't stand the sound of the of the digital radio, and the, he couldn't stand the sound or the colors of digital TV. Yeah, understood. There is a bit of a difference, no doubt. And, of course, Mr. Egan. Do people call you that, by the way? Do they call you Mr. Egan by any chance? It's a, it's a strange thing when people do, but sometimes they <laughs> do, yes. Yes, I like to sometimes... Uh, call people in their formal name like that. And so sometimes I, I do have a habit of doing that. 
But I, I did want to ask you one thing here in terms of the latest craze and all sorts of topics here in America. One of the latest and most popular is the topic on uh, ufology. Lots of um, people have been going um, crazy about that especially this past year. I definitely wanted to get your take on uh, UFOs and the paranormal, that sort of realm. Some listeners even asked me to ask you about that. So I'm curious about your reaction to that. Well, um, you know, the question is, are UFOs real? Well, sure. I saw one in the year 2000, and it looked pretty real. It was a textbook UFO disc, you know, um, glowing light, the whole thing. The question is, who's driving it? I, I didn't see the driver, so I don't know. Um, the whole concept of, you know, are we visit, being visited by ETs and all this sort of stuff? I don't know. I can't prove any of it. Maybe I'm open to everything. You know, belief is the enemy of knowledge, as I keep saying. Um, but the whole concept of disclosure and all that sort of stuff, yet yeah, we're going to let us know. Right. They've been saying this since 1976. That's I've true. Been waiting for disclosure. About every 10 years, it comes up. Disclosure. It's like every 10 years we've got a new cataclysm. History, a new repeat, disaster. history repeats itself, yeah, Max. You know that. Yeah, you know, like I, I keep saying to people, they do this every 12 years. It takes 12 years to get through high school. And so every 12 years, they have a new catastrophe. Back in the 60s, it was, we're heading for an ice age. Then in the 70s, it was the hole in the ozone layer. Then in the 80s, they told us uh, global warming and that the world was going to be flooded by the year 2000. Then in 2000, it was peak oil. We're all going to be running out of oil and everything. We're all going to have no power. Um, then it was, um, I think, it was there was a something else. I can't remember one of them. And then and then suddenly it's climate change. And now we've got the kids coming out of high school telling us the world's going to end in twelve oh, years. You, it happens every twelve years. Max, it's the same sort of thing. With UFO disclosure. Every twelve years or so, there's a new big push for this, and a new ET expert. And disclosure is just a matter of moments away. They've even booked <laughs> the airtime. It's all going to happen. Yeah, I've been hearing this since 1976. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I saw a UFO in the sky. So. I know UFOs are real. It was an object. It was flying. I couldn't identify it. So, therefore, it was an unidentified flying object. Correct. The question is, uh, who was driving it? Was it multidimensional? Did it come from the inner Earth or the outer Earth or another dimension or another planet or just over the hill? Who knows? You know, was it being run by CIA or Little Grey? I don't know. I didn't see the driver. So, but I know UFOs are real because I've seen them. So, that that's, uh, I mean, that I, this section, people ask me over this and I say, well, look, all I can really do is give you my opinion on other people's opinions, none of which I know whether they're true or not. So Never know. Yeah. For, for me to even give you an opinion on what I think about aliens, all I'm doing is offering you a, 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 an opinion based on absolutely no fact or personal research at all or personal experience at all, and all we'll succeed in doing is muddying the waters a little bit further because I really don't know. So that's about all I can no, say. Well, it's I, good know, to I saw one. But, sure. Yeah, who's driving it? No clue. It's good to speculate. Always fun. And yeah. yeah. And of course, um, I, I did want to ask you another thing about Donald J. Trump. And of course, I know you've played video games uh, for a long time yourself. Same here. I, I grew up playing Quake and playing all sorts of uh, first-person shooters, uh, Unreal Tournament, another game that I love. Did you ever play that, by the way, Max? A little bit. I wasn't really into those sort of games too much. I used to play a little bit of enemy territory with my son because I like team nature of it. That's, I, that's I didn't really too. like to just shoot them up, you know, like Quake and, and stuff like that. Team Deathmatch is there. That's always fun. And uh, But what I was going to um, get at was recently... Uh, 
Donald J. Trump blamed violent video games on all these uh, recent shootings, and I personally disagree on his assessment, and I wanted to know your take on that, Max. Are violent video games causing individuals to go out and commit mass shootings, quote-unquote? No, I don't think they are at all. I think MKUltra is probably causing people to go out and do mass shootings, you know, and how many of them are real, how many of them are staged is another question, you know. So, no, I don't think it's violent video games at all. I, I think it's uh, it's this society, and, and I think a lot of them, some of them are just hoaxes, some of them are real, some of them are hoaxes, so, you know, nah, I don't think violent video games are the, are the, the reality at all. I mean, I think the violent video games, the war games, such as um, Call of Duty and stuff, these are used to program people into go out and becoming soldiers and, and murdering people in foreign lands. Recruiting. But as for murdering people in, uh, in our own lands, no, I don't think video games have anything to do with it. Interesting. Very interesting. I, I have often wondered if that was kind of used as some sort of recruitment tool because – as you know, Max, back in the 80s, look at how many people ended up becoming cops after the TV show Chips. So TV okay. does influence a lot of people out there, especially here in America. Um, well, <laughs> Max, you know that. Lots of um, the, the majority out there, the ones who are perfectly content with coming home at a certain hour and watching their favorite television show and warming up their favorite TV dinner, they're perfectly content with that sort of lifestyle, Max. That's all they want. Absolutely. It's a huge influence. I mean, there was a show that came out, I think it was in the, a movie, might have been 1963 or something, called The Divorce. And um, the divorce rates in the United States skyrocketed right. in that year that that movie came out. It was all that was the beginning of the breakdown of the family unit, you know, making a divorce look attractive to children and stuff. You know, get about there, be a free woman, rah, 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 you know. So um, yeah, absolutely, it influences people to an incredible degree. But you'll find that the TV was influences them more than the video games do, as far as shooting people up. Very interesting, Max. I had a feeling you'd say that. I definitely don't feel that video games are at all responsible for some of this behavior that we see. And it makes me wonder uh, about Trump and his assessment. I'm not sure if this was his real opinion. And, uh, you know, you know this, Max. Oftentimes, these opinions that we hear are not, af not often their private opinion opposed to their public yeah. opinion. Yeah, all, all scripted, you know. I mean, even right, when they right, had right. George Bush saying some of the weird things he said in public, I think they just did that to, to distract us, have him saying stupid things. I mean, Trump was saying about nuking hurricanes the other day as well. I mean, <laughs> you know. Yes. It's just stupid stuff to get people talking about the, what, the, what the right hand's doing so they're not looking at what the left hand's doing, you know. But, you know, you, you don't program people with things like video games. It takes interaction. You know, it takes auto-suggestion and neuro-linguistic programming and stuff. You know, you get more of that from the television than you do from video games. Like, you know, the film Divorce, it wouldn't have worked if it wasn't people having conversations. That's why they have two news anchors. They have a man and a woman there, and they'll offer this little opinion. Oh, gee, what did you think about? Oh, yes, well, we're uh, that puts that thought into the people and teaches the people what they should think about the article that they just had on there. Right. That's why they have two anchors and they have a little comment about it. The comment isn't there because they're actually intelligent people wanting to have a comment. It's a scripted comment to make you think that this is the way you should look at this. So you need that that NLP and that interaction in order to lead the audience in a certain direction. You don't get that from from video games. You know, video games are just basically going there and testing your reflexes and your speed skills and all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's fun. I did a lot of video games. I don't want to go and shoot anybody. Same here. I love video games, and I don't want to ever pick up a gun and harm another individual, no matter how mad or offended I am. I would never treat another human being that way. No, exactly. You know? Yeah, that's... Um 
that's pretty messed up stuff to actually use a gun on someone. Uh, but, uh, you know, unless they have a gun and they're robbing my house, in that case, I will definitely have to use a gun myself. And there's plenty of guns well, here. Well, that's the thing, you know, counter-violence. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe in violence, but I believe in counter-violence. No problem. You should defend yourself. Uh, understood. Exactly. I feel the same way. I, I'm not against uh, guns whatsoever. And um, a lot of individuals out here definitely want to take away uh, your guns, unfortunately. Yeah, well, Trump's Trump's doing it. I mean, he's saying he's not. He doesn't want to change the Second Amendment and all that sort of stuff, which was, you know, essentially would be treason anyway. I mean, he's supposed to protect the Constitution. But, you know, more background checks and all that sort of stuff. And like I said, the recategorizing of you know, conspiracy theorists as potential domestic terrorists and all this sort of stuff oh, is yes. you know, a pretty frightening trend. And he's, he's kind of pushing that. So even saying, well, we need more background checks and blah, 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 it's, it's basically – yeah, your guns are okay as long as nobody who disagrees with anything we say has one. You know? <laughs> yes, that's the same way um, Google likes to do things as well. <laughs> yeah, Google. Wow, what a joke that's become, hey? It really has, Even my YouTube, friend. I mean, what a joke. I mean, censorship is through the roof. You know, they've got auto captions on your YouTube clips now. So if you say certain words, the auto caption picks it up and you get censored. So, you know, you've got you to talk around things now. That's why you can't say the Jayish word. You've got to say things like the men in small hats, you know, so. Oy vey. Um, yeah, that sort of <laughs> stuff, yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, and that shows you. I mean, you're not even allowed to say the word. I mean, come oh, on, I know. folks, you know. Like, you know, what, is, what, is, what was that quote that, um, to learn how to, to learn who rules over you, learn who you're not allowed to criticize? That's true. Voltaire or someone like that. I mean, that's the way it is, folks. I mean, there, there it is. It's been delivered to you on a silver platter. Now you know who, who you're not allowed to criticize. Now you know who rules you. Don't you just hate now that, you know though? you got a, a pretty say in it anyway, you know? D don't you just hate that, Max, how certain governments, they just want to hold your hand so badly? Well, yeah, the nanny state. That's what they want to do, you know? You need government to protect you. Who from? What, the other governments, you know? It's crazy, isn't it? Well, no, China wants to come and invade you, really. So China's going to jump up and walk over and eat America, is it? Well, it's not. It's, it's a country. It's not going to do anything. The government of China may be a problem, but if the people of China were to remove their government and the people of America were to remove their government, then there wouldn't be a problem because you go and talk to China. None of the people in China want to go and have a war with any Americans. None of the people in America want to go to have a war with China. It's the government. It's always the government. Government's just, you know, two, two sociopaths facing off against each other saying, hey, how many people can we murder this week? Make them think we've got a war. We're having a war with each other. Then at the end of it, they'll go and shake hands and say, oh, look, we're not at war now. Go and rebuild your cities, you know. It's a joke. The whole thing's a joke. It's just governments protecting you from other governments. Now, governments are there to make you think that you need them to protect you. You know, they create all these problems so that you think you need a nanny state there to protect you from everything. But really, it's just the governments. They cook up all the problems themselves to create the, the concept. They actually need these people to be there. It's like the bankers. We really need the bankers to look after our money. Oh, my God, we can't look after it ourselves. We need to put it in the bank. My God, what would we ever do if the bank wasn't there? You know, probably have a bit of freedom, you know. So, yeah, it's a joke. It's a complete joke. The, the government's the nanny state to protect you from the other governments. It's crazy. Government. We don't need these people at all. Government. It's a, it's a complete scam. Government is racketeering. Yes. It's extortion and racketeering. That's all it is. Governments are always wanting to kill someone. That's what I've learned, Max. Oh, yeah. They're really good at that. They love that sort of shit. They do. And, of course, Communist China 70, uh, 70th anniversary uh, to parade uh, to showcase advanced military hardware. That's coming up here October 1st. 
And uh, we'll be seeing all sorts of uh, different toys China has been able to acquire. Some stealth fighter jet, some um, some uh, road mobile intercontinental ballistic missile also on display, as well as, submar- as, as, well as a submarine-launched ballistic missile will also be on display. So lots of excitement coming out of our friends in China, October 1st. Yeah, and they're probably not even telling you about the other, the real stuff that they've got, you know, the, the, the really bad stuff, like, you know, the laser, multi, multi-spectrum laser displays they've got and stuff like that, which were banned by the West, developed by the West and then banned by the West and sold to China. You know, why do you think they did that? Things that um, you can't even wear safety goggles against these because they can, um, they change spectrum, just a bright flashing light, which would change spectrum. And you light, your eyes automatically drawn towards the light. You're going to give it a quick glance. It'll even go through safety goggles and it'll blind you because you can't get any goggles that will keep out every spectrum. And it goes through rapidly random spectrums. And so you send this out and just blind an entire battlefield and just leave them there, blind, to their own devices. They'll all die. So, you know, that sort of stuff. China's got weapons like that, which are absolutely disgraceful, anti-human, anti-life weapons developed by the West and sold to them. So, you know, I doubt that we'll see any of that sort of stuff, but that that's the sort of stuff they've got. They're actually leading the world in uh, some of the most inhumane technology we've ever seen. Yes, it's very, very unsettling what's been going on uh, around the world. And just to take you back to America here, I'm not quite sure, Max, if you've been following along in the American political spectrum. It's been kind of embarrassing for the most part. Um, of course, talking about the Democratic race to uh, Trump, Mr. Donald Trump. I'm not quite sure if you've been um, watching any of that. No, I haven't been, actually. I haven't been keeping up with uh, American theatrical politics. I mean, it's all theater. It is, big time. It's all theater for the masses. <laughs> it doesn't matter who wins. You know, it doesn't matter if Trump or Clinton got in. I mean, Trump doing things his way, but I don't think Clinton was ever designed to get in. I mean, I thought she was, but I don't think that she was. I think Trump was always meant to get in there. And it's all it's all theatre for the masses. I've said so many times. You can put a piece of toast in the president's chair and put a little smiley face on it with with ketchup, and right. it do the same. You'd have the same result. It doesn't matter who you put in that chair. You're going to get the same result because the president doesn't run the country. He's a mouthpiece. You know, it's all the the advisors that yeah. sit behind him who run the country. I, and know? I agree 100. percent I've been saying that all along here, and I'm glad you definitely feel the same way. That's just the talking head. For our president, really, that's basically our mascot, is really what it comes down to. And yeah, but you needed mm-hmm. you needed someone like Trump to create the incredible polar, polarization that we're seeing with American society. You know, it really, really split American society into two camps. The Trump presidency more than any other president would have done. You know. And uh, yeah, someone just posted the King of Israel. Yeah, that's what I've often said is that he's the greatest president Israel's ever had. Well, I'm not going to argue. Even say the, the Israelis are saying he's the second coming because of all the stuff that they've. Uh, They've done that he's done for Israel. Israel's had so much leeway to do whatever it wants since Trump took office. And, uh, that should be, you know, obvious for everybody to see. And that should be very telling for everybody as well, you know? Yes, sir. And of course, one of the most recent developments, uh, allegedly, I should say, a new poll indicates there's some sort of three way tie or a three way dance, as I like to call it, for the Democratic nomination. Sanders, Warren, and Joe Biden. And, of course, Sanders and Warren are doing quite well for themselves. And I feel Joe Biden, uh, he's going to eventually get buried uh, pretty hard as we go along here. And the real question is, is America ready for a female president? That's a question I asked last time, and it was quite controversial. 
Some people didn't want to call in because they were so offended, so they took to uh, their emails, Max, and uh, let me know let me know their opinions on that question. Yeah, well, you know, if if there is a female president, it would be the only way to get Trump out of office, um, and it would be the change that people want to see, the same as the change that was Obama and the change that was Trump. It's the next theatrical move, you know? Yes. It'd be the same thing. Put a female piece of toast in there and use different colored ketchup, you know? Hey, this is uh, P.T. Barnum, my friend. And everyone is eating it, up, eating it up, as I like to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that'd be the only way to get Trump out of office and, and make it seem like he was such a bad thing, which would be uh, they might do that just to throw the truth community a bone again. So all the people that have been on the Q train would think, oh, Q was right, see, you know, right, right, right. So <laughs> yes. you know, Q train's been incredible. Let's get people in action for the last two years just sitting there eating popcorn, waiting for the big change that's about to happen. It's imminence, like disclosure that they've been going to do since 1976, you know. So, yeah. That'd be the only way they get Trump out of office. But they'll do that. They may may even let Trump stay in there for another another um, term. But then the, I wouldn't be surprised if the next president is female, because that's the only way they're going to get people to actually believe that there's going to be some change in inverted commas. Then at the end of that, when they find that there wasn't any change, well, they might realize that the whole thing's been a theater from the beginning. He has done a good job so far, though. Uh, Donald Trump, slightly, compared to what he was running against. That's the unfortunate part here. But Trump hasn't exactly been the um, hasn't exactly been the devil in the skies, as they say. Well, no, I mean, he's, he's what he's done, though. If you if you look at when you say he's done a good job, he's he's Something, kind of promoted some, isolationism. Uh, he's he's um, distanced America from. Um, from Europe, he's distanced America from China. A lot of the farmers in America will tell you that it's been incredibly difficult for them since Trump took office because of the tariffs and stuff. That's true. So I guess it um, he's made things easier on the ground for some sections of American society. But if you look at it on the the world stage, the globals, yeah, what he's done uh, as far as um, isolationism in regard to China and Europe and the support that he's given to the absolute destruction of Yemen through his support through Saudi Arabia. And his support for the state of Israel, which is a rogue state, um, this should speak volumes to anybody. If you look at the, the world stage, the agenda hasn't changed at all. It's actually escalated since Trump took office. I mean, Israel's been able to get away with stuff it never would have gotten away with if there'd been another president. Now, what they say, they're calling him the second coming. The amount of arms sales going out to Yemen and the terrible situation that's been constructed in Venezuela and in Iran as well. That's true. Still, Americans still believe Iran is some sort of a threat to them. It's crazy. Iran hasn't attacked another country in 270 years and want to go to war with America, you know. And and what's happening in Venezuela is a, is a humanitarian crisis, which Trump is really, really pushing. So, you know, uh, I, I don't think that he, he's a good guy at all. I think he's just doing stuff on the ground to keep Americans on his side so he continue can continue the globalist agenda of sticking their shaft in the rest of the world the way <laughs> they've already been doing, you know? I'm with you on that one. And, of course, I must mention here, I do like uh, some of the candidates that are female, like um, a Tulsi Gabbard woman. She's not so bad, as well as uh, Marianne Williamson. She's a wild one. She's she's kind of insane. So that's kind of why I like her. Oh, yeah. But you, you've got to understand that she's entering into an insane system. So it, it doesn't matter even if she's got some good quality points. Once she gets in there, she's going to be constrained by the office itself, you know? Yeah, she's going to be compromised. Because that's what the office is about, you know? She's going to be compromised. She'll just be another another mouthpiece for the same agenda, being told what she's told to say. That's just the way it goes, you know? It really is. It, it's quite sad to see that. 
But that's what's going on right now here in American politics. And of course, uh, Trump back in the headlines yet again, a big shocker. Uh, but this time it comes um, from a personal aide now that had some sort of um strange night out where she was drunk and made some sort of disparaging comments about his family, especially about his daughter and some sort of a weight uh, issue where apparently uh, this woman, this aide, her name, I believe, is Madeline Westerhout. Not quite sure if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but this woman, she was the longtime personal assistant and Oval Office gatekeeper. Uh, yes, this woman, Madeline, that we're talking about. Apparently, she was drunk one night and made some off-the-record comments about Trump and his daughter, Tiffany, being uh, overweight. And I'm curious what you thought about that. Do you think he actually or do you think he actually um, says something like that? Uh, Max, of, about his daughter, Tiffany. I would not have a clue. I wouldn't have a clue. It wouldn't surprise me. He's a pretty arrogant sort of a guy. But uh, I wouldn't have a clue. I mean, half of this stuff's probably cooked up. It's it's all irrelevant anyway. I mean... Pretty irrelevant, yes. Know, it, it's it's just all this stuff to keep people gossiping about all these these little things that don't mean anything. It's like people dancing with the stars or whatever, you know? Oh, Lord. Yes. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just... It's 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 theater. It's It's just a little puppet show. You know, it is. Um, it's quite silly. And they, they can think that's something important. Oh, gee, he said something terrible about his daughter, but but he's he's supplying one point two million billion dollars worth of arms to Saudi Arabia so they can carry out genocide in Yemen. No one's talking about that. That's just there on the back burner. You know what I mean? Oh, but what he said about his daughter. You know, people need to look at their priorities here yeah. with all this sort of stuff. You know, and you've got to understand that the whole, even with the Chinese system, the Chinese government, all they all work together. The whole Kim Jong-un thing and, oh, look, Trump went to North Korea and King Jong King North Korea has been a CIA state since it was invented. All you've got to look into it, you know, since the Korean War, the whole thing's been run by the CIA. It was a puppet show. It's just there to make it look like he's bridged this gap between North Korea. They all work together. Now, you can think of all world governments as being a worldwide, multinational, multi-generational criminal cabal, which has insinuated itself over every country and is masquerading as government. Each, each country is kind of like a department store with all their chattels and goods and chattels in there, and they all work together. It's one big crime gang. You know, we don't need government at all. That's the problem, you know. So all of this stuff is is theatre, you know, the left and the right and, and people in there. And pe you know, if you're working within that system, you've entered into a corrupt system, which is corrupt from the ground up. That's the way it is, you know. So don't think you're going to be able to make a change unless you're, if you're not entering government with the sole intention of, of reducing the size of government to the point that we don't need it anymore, then, then you, you're just part of the agenda. It doesn't matter. There's no way you're going to make in there and bring in policies and all this stuff and actually make a difference. What you've got to do is go in there and reduce the size of government and get people back to a point where they're empowered enough to govern themselves. That's what we need. Understood. Would you be in favor of an all-open source government, Max, if that was even possible? Some people have proposed that sort of idea, but I think that's sort of living in a fantasy world, as you know, Max. Man is it's a, it's wolf a, to man. It's a fantasy world because, unfortunately, too many people are not intelligent enough for open source government. I and mean, that might be an unsavory thing for people to want to hear, but it's true. You know, if I'm you, you look so. at the general mentality of society out there, I mean, some of these people, honestly, they couldn't manage a pretty cake stall. You want them to help, you know, have, a, have a, a say on what happens in government. You know, most people will be voting for cash in their own pockets, no matter where which way it goes. Even when you look at the political system, when you, who, who are the candidates you vote for? Most people vote for the candidates which promise them the biggest tax breaks so they get more cash in their pocket. Most people vote with their pockets. 
you know. So, yes. yeah, even even in an anarchist society, when I say we need to reduce government to the size we don't need them anymore, and we're back to a state of anarchy and self-governance, this would take a couple of generations to do, or at least one full generation to do, because people at the moment are simply not capable of governing themselves. They're not intelligent enough to govern themselves. They don't have enough information to govern themselves. Yeah, and you can just see this from YouTube and Facebook and all these places. This is what you do. You know, you give everybody in the world a soapbox so nobody gets hurt. You know, that way the, the intelligent people that have got something that people really need to hear don't get their voices heard because you can't hear them above the cacophony of everyone else shouting and wanting to put their two cents worth in. So, yeah, great idea. Great idea, open source government. Possible in this in this t- state of human consciousness? No, absolutely unrealistic, you know. So, right. you know, we, we need some sort of a – someone to get in there and, and, and revamp the education system, revamp the political system, create a, an education system where people are actually – educated again, taught real history, taught real things about life. And like I said, it would take at least a full generation, if not two or three, to lead us back to a point where we are capable of looking after ourselves again. You know, it's been it's been a process to bring us to this point. You know, it's, it's been a, a process, a, a deliberate dumbing down over generations, and you can't simply flick the switch, turn back to freedom, because people are not competent enough to deal with it. You know, if people were left for their own devices, they would you know, societies would start eating themselves within a week. You know, if people would <laughs> know where to go if they were left for their own devices. No, I'm with that's, you. that's the sad reality. It is. That's true. And that's the, the problem, though, Max. Like like we were talking about earlier about society and how we're doing now. We are a very small percentage that think this sort of way, Max, even though you've had lots of um, views and you've go and talk to all these people. And it seems like we're a big sort of statistic, but uh, we're not. We're, we're not a big group of individuals out there. We're very small in terms of numbers. And that's kind of the hard part, how to reach the the other masses out there that part of society out there most of society as you know uh, max and i'm sure you agree with this they have become completely numb in america most have become apoplectic and even apathetic myself included at times max yeah, they have. It's an unfortunate thing, you know, the fluoride, the, the electromagnetic bombardment and just the, the hopelessness that people see of the situation because people think the machine's too big and they can't do anything about it, you know. As I've often said, you know, if people were to change their perspective and simply realize who and what they are, we could change the world in a day. You know, if people suddenly stepped into their moral compass, if they refused to comply with wrong behavior, if they refused to comply with any legislation which um, complements wrong behavior or causes them to step outside their moral compass, then we change the world in a day. If people did the right thing in all that they do, you know, and if people literally had the epiphany to realize the power of themselves, like some of the stuff I've attempted to share with you today, and just realize that the true awesomeness of being alive, we change the world in three seconds. Just bang, shift perspective and walk away from this system in mass. We could do it in a day, you know, but will people do that? No, but they won't because they're, they're afraid. They're in fear of what might happen if they do, you know. So that's the sad situation that we're in. And we are in a minority. So what you can do is be the best person you possibly can be. Be a pleasure to be around. Influence people in that way. Get in the real world and just be an absolute shining light. You know, give to people as much as you can. Help people. Help everybody you can. And and be yourself. Be comfortable in being yourself. Like I said, you know, face, face in infinity without flinching and you make a difference you know and that's what i do in my everyday this is this is how i approach every situation that i'm in and in my approaches every day, I try to improve somebody's life. I try to do a random act of kindness every day when I go out and do something. I'll do something for somebody somewhere. 
every day I do something, you know. So um, that's how we make a difference, you know. Don't be afraid to be yourself is how we make a difference. But don't think we can save the whole world. We can't, you know. I mean, a lot of the – I even wonder about the whole concept of, of void portals wandering around, you know, non, non-participating players as they call them. I think there's a lot of that as well. There's a lot of stuff out there. It only, only took like 1% of the population to bring about the, the United States Revolution, the, the Civil War or whatever it was, American Revolution. So – you know, we don't need all the people to wake up. All we need is those who are awake to apply themselves to reality in the correct way, and we will make a difference. Understood. And what about the individuals out there in Australia, in your uh, stomping grounds, Max? I haven't really talked to you at all about about those individuals out there and where they are mentally in terms of what's going on around them in their country and as well as America and if any of them are actually paying attention uh, to what's going on out here as well or are they just living their lives like anyone else what's going well, on well I, I, I lovingly call this country Apathralia ah, so beautiful. that's the general zeitgeist of the population but yeah we actually have seen a, a reasonable amount of activity rising now because of the 5G rollout and the, the smart city that they want to bring in in Darwin. I've seen people that um, I wouldn't even expect to be uh, activists becoming active in regard to 5G. We've had a huge groundswell of people getting on board with this. So, yeah, um, I think, like I said, they're stumbling over themselves. They're doing things too fast. They've, they've really messed things up this year. The Christchurch with this Epstein shooting, the rollout of 5G so quickly, everything they're trying, they're, they're pushing it so quickly. You know, I think that we've upset their plans a little bit and they've had to escalate things a little bit. So, you know, stuff that was going to take five years, they're now trying to push through in one. And people are seeing it now. People are seeing that, hang on, this is not right. So we're seeing a, a reasonable amount of people standing up now in Australia. I'm really pleased with the amount of activism I'm seeing on the 5G front and the the, uh, the Wi-Fi front and all that sort of stuff here in Australia. So I've actually been able to step back from that a little bit because there's now major sections of the community who are not conspiratorially minded at all, who are going out there and challenging council and getting barristers involved and, and really getting involved on the ground themselves. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a good thing. I think we are seeing a certain sort of a uh, certain amount of wakefulness happening, and you know, a little bit in, in their own way. People can't be woke up to the entire situation that we're in. They need little bits at a time. And I think 5G is causing that shell to crack a little bit with people. So that's a good thing. Before we uh, jump into 5G, I just wanted to quickly mention perhaps one of the reasons why uh, those in Australia are not uh, too keen on some of the things going on is probably because they're more concerned about what things can actually kill them out there. It seems like any insect or animal out there uh, can just take you out of commission, Max. No, I think you hear a lot of <laughs> propaganda about that in the United States. I mean, I've lived here my whole life and it's really not as bad as you think. Now, we hear reports the Japanese call Australia the giant island of death. Everything wants to kill you. It's really not that bad. I mean, we see the odd snake, the odd spider or whatever, but it's it's not that bad. We The people that live in Australia don't even think about it. So that's, that's not the concern. I think what's keeping them back mm-hmm. more than anything is the fluoride in the water, possibly the lithium they're spraying in the skies and the uh, the propaganda and mind control they're getting from the television and from their smartphones. I thought it would be the box jellyfish out there. <laughs> Well, yeah, you know what, what seasons they're coming, you know, and you know where not to swim, so it's all good. Those we little, don't worry about it. It's everything, every, there's lots of stuff that wants to kill you, but it doesn't worry you at all if you live here. What about the can- any kangaroos? Do you have any sort of uh, stories about uh, going heads up against one of those? 
No, they don't bother you. Like, there's no ruse around here where I live. You might see the odd wallaby. But, um, you know, they, they keep to themselves. They're just eating grass and stuff. They don't want to fight you or anything like that, not unless you want to go and um, harass them. That's true, yeah. So, you know, Amazing. people that go and try to steal joeys or whatever, they might go and get into trouble. But, um, no, you don't get any of that. There's, there's, it's lots of legends that you hear about this place that simply aren't true. It's overhyped then. People are exaggerating. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Understood. So, Max, let, let's get a little bit into a 5G here for the last remaining 30 minutes of this program. And I understand you've been quite busy uh, this month and coming up next month, even then, you're going to be quite busy going to that conference in Philadelphia, as you said. Yeah, that's actually next week. Or next Philadelphia. week. I head to Philadelphia. That'll be the next, not next weekend, the weekend after I'll be in Philadelphia. So, yeah, I'm going to be pretty busy from, from next week until about... October 22nd so shows are going to be a little intermittent on the uh on the uh, on the radio show, I'll just see what I can do about getting information out to people. But yeah, you're going to be pretty full on for the next six weeks. Very nice. So you definitely are busy, and you've been to Philadelphia before, so you know what to expect out there. And I, I definitely want you to tell us just a little bit about 5G and what you will be talking about out there. Just a sample. Well, in Philadelphia, I'm not even I'm not even really going to touch on 5G that much in Philadelphia. I want to mainly talk about history and um, okay. where we're going. I'm only going to be doing a 30 minute talk at Anarchadelphia, but then I've got a couple of workshops and a couple of panels and a few things to do from that. So, I mean, with these talks, I don't usually prepare them. It, I kind of go there and it's it's what I'm feeling on the day. So, I kind of ad-lib most of them. If I've got a, a, a slideshow, sometimes I put a slideshow together to keep me on some sort of track, but um, I'm not actually preparing anything for the talk in Anarchadelphia. And I'm not preparing anything for the talk in Mount Shasta. I just want to kind of feel the crowd. Improv then, open yeah. Open my mouth and start talking and see what, see what comes out, you know. I like that. That's the way I do yeah. the radio shows as well. I kind of go in there with the opening quote, and I might have a vague idea of what I want to talk about, but the shows tend to go off on so many tangents and cover so much ground because I don't have anything scripted. I don't really know where I'm going when I start. I just know that I have to talk for an hour. So I just start talking and, and see where it ends up. And then I kind of like it that way because oh, yeah. I, I reach areas that I wouldn't normally reach, and sometimes I can you know, get onto a thought flow and I can have ideas that I wouldn't have other thought of wouldn't have uh, otherwise thought of. Some of the stuff you hear on the radio shows, it's the first time I've even thought of that stuff when I say it sometimes because it's just the way my thought flow has gone. You know, when I'm asked questions of the audience and, and that's basically what I do with the radio shows and what I do with the presentations is I encourage people to ask the questions hmm. because, you know, too many people go in there and pretend they're an expert on all these things and, and ultimately we, we, we don't know too much about anything really if people are just prepared to be honest about it. You know, it's encouraging people to ask the questions to begin with, which I think is the, the big awakening moment, just asking those questions, you know? Yeah, that's one thing I hate about those individuals out there who host a show of their own. Lots of times they'll bring in a guest and they'll give that sort of perception that they know more than the person they're bringing on to talk about that subject. I always wondered, why would you have this individual on if you are the so-called expert? Uh, what's the point of that? Yeah, a lot of people tend to do that. It's, it's <laughs> I'm a strange not sure thing, why. but... Um, I don't like even being termed an expert on anything. I, I find the, the title very, very uncomfortable because, as I said, the only thing I'm an expert on is, is myself. Right. And I'm not even an expert on that. I'm still learning about that. So, you know. Yeah, you have a lot of uh, pretentious individuals out there, especially those who call themselves uh, journalists as well. Well, yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's a journalist? Someone who writes a journal. That's all you got to do is write stuff down. But is your opinion valid? Does that make you a journalist, you know? Indeed. And of course, we are heading towards that line now where I do want your thoughts and opinions on a few names here. And one of them that does come to mind is one Alex Jones. He was one of the very first people in our modern times to get deplatformed and given the whole five-star treatment, frozen assets, platform removal, and of course, Max, it seems like maybe that might happen to you sometime. Maybe that might even happen to me sometime too. Well, yeah, it could. It could well happen. I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've got a strike against my channel at the moment. I can't upload to my channel because of an interview that I posted the other day. Oh, no. Um, I mean, Alex, I, I don't know whether I trust Alex or not. I mean, maybe some people say he's controlled opposition. Yeah, maybe he's just an opportunist. Um, maybe he just chooses not to say certain things that he should say. I know he's definitely a sensationalist. Um, all of the above. Definitely a lot of clickbait and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, um, I, I think he serves a purpose. He, he probably woke a lot of people up. But then I wonder how much of that is contrived as well. When I look at the whole truth movement and the 9-11 truth movement, I mean, he's gone back on a lot of the stuff he said back in the early days. So, and when I look at the concept of the externalization of the hierarchy, you know, I mean, the, the powers that believe they be want this information getting out there. You got to look at the truth movement. Why do they let us do what we do? You know, um, there's a reason for it. And if you, if you take it back to, um, the beginning of the new age movement, Alice Bailey, Delicious Trust, um, Helena Blavatsky, she actually wrote a book called The Externalization of the Hierarchy. And what that is about is, is the, um, exposing the inner workings of the mechanism, you know, the revelation of the method, you know. So they want us to know what is going on. They want the truth to get out there because the gamble they're taking is that people will see just how corrupt this system is. They'll, they'll become aware of the pedophilia. They'll become aware that all the governments are corrupt and all these things are happening, but they'll continue to go along with it. You know what I'm saying? And by continuing to go along with it, we become willing participants in the pedophilia, in all the slavery and all the human trafficking. And by doing that, we willingly condemn our own souls. So that's why they need us to know what they're doing because, you know, the human race is so apathetic now. They've dumbed us down so much. They got the police so brutal and everyone is so much in fear that people will be aware of what's going on, but they'll just continue to pay their protection money. They'll just continue to pay their taxes and they'll go along with the system. Like I said earlier, what if the important part is how you die? You know, what is the, what is the moral state that you're in? How far are you prepared to take? And how much are you prepared to take? And how much corruption are you prepared to become aware of before you choose not to participate in that corruption anymore? You know, so that's why when you look at that, the 9-11 truth movement, why did they make 9-11 so obvious? Because they were fishing. They wanted to see who was away. They could have made that so much less obvious. They could have actually gotten away with doing it. So we, we believed it. But so many people could see it on the day that there's something terribly wrong here. And then you had someone like Alex Jones come out there and push that. Fishing, the fisher of men. Go out there and, and, you know, with, with what Alex Jones did with the movies he put out and getting out there with a the megaphone and all that sort of stuff. I mean, you could almost, in a way, say he was almost personally responsible for creating the entire 9-11 truth movement. And then he pulled himself away from it. So, oh no, I didn't say that. And I didn't say that. And I didn't say that. Well, yes, you did. You put out whole movies about it. So, you know, um, and then he gets, um, um, then he suddenly gets penalized and black banned and everything's put off there. So they show us what we're, what, the, what they're going to do, you know, 
So they show us how they're going to um, penalise the truth movie. They're going to they're going to black ban us all and all that sort of stuff. There wasn't too much outcry about that. Then they um, arrest Julian Assange recently, and then we see a breakdown in international treaties for whistleblowers and all sorts of stuff like that as well. Asylum for whistleblowers, and people didn't really make too much noise about that. Whether Assange's a puppet or, or not, it's, it's irrelevant. It's how the legislation is being played. So you, you look at all this stuff; it's, it's been a fishing exercise. The whole truth movement has been a fishing exercise. Um, the the whole 9-11 truth movement was certainly a fishing exercise, and I think Alex Jones had a lot to do with that. You know, they've been tracking everybody through the internet. They needed to find out where we all are, the internet, the international net. What do you do with the net? What do you do with the web, the worldwide web? What is it for? It's for catching things. What do you do with the net and a web, you know? So everything that you've ever done online is still there, even back in your old MySpace pages. Every, every post you made on MySpace, and then you went back and you edited that post. It's still there before the edits. Every edit is there. Everything you've ever done online has been collected and correlated. And they needed something like the 9-11 truth movement and the actual truth movement to, to be spawned so they get tabs on everyone. And now with the censorship and the algorithms, they're basically sweeping the truth aside and now you'll see people start disappearing and uh, nobody will even become aware of it. And with the deep fake technology and all that sort of stuff, I mean, they could come and take me out and have deep fake on and you could still hear me doing my radio shows and you could even see me on videos and they've got how many samples of my voice out there from the 300, 400 radio radio shows that I've done, you know, so they could create anything they want now. They can create any type of reality they want online. They have the technology to do it. And when I look at it, it's it's all been a fishing exercise, the whole thing. Sadly, it, it really has been. Everything about us has already been uh, surrendered uh, by us right away. No need for some sort of mark of the beast, as many people have been alluding to. All of that has already been done via your cell phone. Really, the cell phone and the credit card. See, I don't own a cell phone. I don't own a credit card. I've never bought anything with a credit card. I've never gone into I've got a debit card that I use because I need one to buy airline tickets, but I don't keep any money in that account except when I've got to buy tickets. And I've never actually gone into a shop and paid for something with a card. I've taken cash into every shop I've ever gone into. Even when I travel overseas, I pay for my hotel rooms with cash. So I've, I've never used a credit card, and I don't use a cell phone for anything. You know that is that is even people that, that say they're religious and Christian and stuff. I say yeah, you don't indulge in witchcraft. Have you looked at scrying mirrors and sigils for summoning demons, which all look like electrical circuitry? You know, you're carrying a cell phone around. You're using a scrying mirror. This is witchcraft under your interpretation of what it is. Okay, these are scrying mirrors. This this is this is the beast system. If if you think you're you're not going to ever become part of the beast system when it comes online well you already are everybody that is using this stuff is already part of that system and very true even going to church and uh, going to mass doing all the singing all that that's all witchcraft as well well yeah it's, it's the thing they're worshiping idols they're doing all sorts of stuff they were told not to do so yeah interesting stuff anytime you even but pray I, I, I even think <laughs> that these 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 um these are left there as warnings for us you know like when you see these sigils in use when you see these scrying mirrors in use you're about to summon this force which is going to wipe you out and uh, i think it's happened before i think i think we have cyclic cataclysms i think we have um previous civilizations that have been um come before us 
And I, I think that these civilizations are wiped out approximately every 200 years. Now, there was another name I just remembered right now, and that is one Michael Moore. What are your thoughts and opinions on one Michael Moore? I think he is uh, absolutely controlled. I think he puts out very, very safe information. Again, it's the externalization of the hierarchy, showing you how corrupt it is, but just sort of going along with it, you know. And uh, I think he, he's absolutely controlled. He, he's doing a specific agenda, and he's part of the system. He'll never give you the real truth. He'll, he'll give you just enough of it to make you aware of the corruption, but not the, the real truth of what's, what's causing the corruption or, or how to get away from that. My opinion on one Michael Moore does vary, but I do give him credit for producing the film Fahrenheit 9-11 and, of course, Bowling for Columbine, which I thought both were pretty good. But as as time has gone uh, by, we kind of see that Michael Moore definitely someone who took advantage of everything he was able to. And I don't exactly uh, fault him for that, but he has become uh, something else as of late. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think he's he's been com- completely honest with what he presents. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, uh, definitely. But Fahrenheit 9-11, that was a great film for its time. Definitely opened the eyes of many out there, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. But like, it didn't give you the whole story, though. It right, right. It gave you a portion of the story. Exactly, uh, not the whole um, thing. And, and that's another thing I was going to bring up to uh, you. Uh, in terms of those in the uh, so-called truth movement for 9-11, there is a group by the name of uh, Architects and Engineers, and that's one of the criticisms that they do have uh, themselves, that they sort of only give you some of the answers, but they don't exactly fully give you who's responsible or why. That's one of the major ones. Yeah, but again, these uh, um, you can kind of. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know if I particularly trust that crew at all. But you know, you've got to understand the logic in that as well, because once you start pointing the finger, you just okay. Well, I've made the claim, and now I've got to defend that claim. Yeah, I've got to be careful. Proof, and True. you're just going to yeah. get into an argument with someone else who thinks it's somebody else. So, and ultimately, we don't know. We can um, suggest, we can theorize, but we don't know. What we do know is that the government story is completely impossible. So that should be the focus because you're not going to know what the real truth is until you um, get people to understand that what we're what we're just it, it doesn't matter who you think it is. What matters is that the government story is wrong, and if we can have a proper investigation, maybe we'll find out who the real perpetrators are without the need to argue about it. You know, so I can kind of understand that that mentality. I mean, I, I have my own thoughts on who actually carried out those attacks, but again, I, I don't make that statement and make that claim. Those claims, right? Because it it just it just creates arguments, and I can't prove it. And and if someone thinks it's somebody else, well, now we're stuck in the details, and we're arguing about the details. This is what they did. I mean, with nine eleven, nine eleven was so obviously staged. But then we're halfway through actually alerting the world to the was the fact that it was staged. And then you had groups like Inge- architects and engineers come along and make a claim. Okay, they came down because of this. You had some people saying thermite, some people saying directed energy weapons, some people saying micro nukes. We don't know. It could have been any one of those things or all three of those things. Right, right. You're just arguing about the details rather than focusing on the fact that what the government said is wrong. That should be the details. So, you know, we, we get caught in arguing over the details. It's like with these mass shootings. Was it fake? Was there blood? Was there shell casings? Was there this? Was there that? The thing was, was a black op, you know, and that should be the focus. It's the same as 9 11. It was a black op. That should be the focus. You know, it's arguing over the details. This is what they want you to do because then you're just caught fighting amongst each other and you're not dealing with the fact that the government did this, you know. Ah, divide and conquer. Another tactic. Absolutely. 
on so many levels, brother. So many levels. Understood. And yes, lots of uh, interesting things that went on during 9-11. And of course, you do remember where you were when that happened, right? Absolutely. I remember exactly where I was when 9-11 happened. Oh, my. Um, what did you initially think, by the way, as soon as you saw that happen? Well, when I first saw it, I mean, the first thing I thought was, gee, terrible pilot. Same as George Bush said. That's the first thing I thought. What the hell? How does a guy hit a building like that? But then I saw another plane fly past, and I thought, "Hang on, there's another plane flying around. This is this is not a pilot. This is a this is a terror attack, you know." And then the second plane went in, and I'm like, "Oh my god, it is a terror attack!" And then the building came down, and I went, "Okay, this isn't a terror attack. This is the big event we've been waiting for because that wasn't just caused by." It. And straight away, as soon as the building came down, I knew this was a staged event. But until that time, I thought. Yeah, terror attack. I mean, like most people thought probably. But originally I thought, well, how on earth do you fire a plane into that building? I mean, what, was the pilot on drugs or something? I mean, what is this, you know? How can a plane have hit the World Trade Center, you know? So that was my, yes. that was you know, probably, that was, that lasted about five seconds, that thought. And then I was thinking, yeah, terror attack, you know? So, I mean, like most people, this is back like the 2000s. I mean, this is 19 years ago now or 2001. So 18 years ago now. But, um, yeah, I mean, but as soon as the building came down, as soon as it started collapsing, I just thought, no way, no way. This is controlled demolition. This is being set up by the government. This is the big event we've been waiting for. So, uh, hold on to your hats. We're really heading somewhere with this. Yeah. I could, I could tell you right now that I actually got in trouble that morning of September 11th back in the day in the uh, classroom okay. for, for just suggesting that perhaps the government had something to do with it. I, I was kind of <laughs> seen as I was causing trouble and was told if I wanted to see the principal. Interesting. Yes, very interesting. And of course, we aren't even that far away it, I, from uh, September 11th now. I think, yeah, I think anybody with with eyes to see, um, as soon as the building started collapsing, they could see that this this is terribly wrong. This is not possible. There is no way a building can collapse from a fire hitting it like that. And I've been to the World Trade Center. I've been up in those buildings. They were big buildings. Those big steel columns on the outside. There's no way. There is absolutely no way. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people got it on the day that, that something was not right. But I think the initial thought from most people was, oh, it's terrible. Terrible, I mean, yeah. Until the building came down. Until the building came down. When it came down like that, I mean, the, the shock and awe of that – um, yeah, it was, uh, that was the beginning of the, of the end game. Absolutely. It just seemed so unusual seeing those buildings come down that way. <laughs> Both Twin Towers and oh, yeah, Building 7. Of course. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's absurd to think that a building could collapse like that from fire, fire weakened the columns. It was up right up that high in the building. How did it collapse like that at freeze fall speed? It doesn't make sense. And like I said, I've been up in those buildings. They are very, very strong buildings. There's no way uh, that would have happened. It just doesn't make sense at all. And None the, of the physics adds up. So, yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not surprised they sent you up to the office though. I mean, but they were calling it. They were calling Osama Bin Laden within 20 minutes of, of, the, of the first plane hitting, you know, so you could see something was, was uh, it was all, all planned, the yeah, whole they thing seemed, was planned. they seemed to know a lot really quickly, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, didn't they? Absolutely. And like Bill Cooper <laughs> called it a couple of weeks before as well. Yeah, and he said they've gone in and they've interviewed Osama Bin Laden, so you can be guaranteed they're going to stage an event using this guy. And then two weeks later, they do 9-11 and then Bill Cooper's dead. That's interesting. And of course, once you think of Osama Bin Laden and you think about that family and their close ties with the Bush uh, family as well. All yeah, CIA exactly. time. And who gets the, who gets, they flew all the Bin Laden family out of America the next day and who got the, uh, they went to war with Iraq and who got the, the, the contract to rebuild Iraq, the Bin Laden family, you know? That's interesting. And of course, we are close uh, yet again for another anniversary 
of September 11th and the media very, very quiet about it, my friend. No one is really even talking about, yeah. uh, about I'm the actually due thing. for an interview that day. So oh, it'll be you? interesting. I'll be in LA on September the 11th. The day before I fly to Philadelphia, I arrive there on the 10th and I leave on the 12th. And I've got an interview that evening on September the 11th. So it'll be an interesting conversation. It definitely will be. And of course, what what conference are you going to out here in LA? By the way, no conferences in LA. I'm just uh, it's, oh, okay. it's a cheap port. It's a cheap entry point to the United States. It's actually cheaper for me to fly into LA and then get a return flight across the country to Philadelphia and then back to Australia than it is to fly direct from Australia to Philadelphia and return. Oh, very interesting. Okay, yeah, you're gonna yeah, like I've it. I've just learned that with travel. I've I've learned that there's mm-hmm. certain ports you can fly into: L.A., Las Vegas, uh, Amsterdam, London, Madrid are cheap ports if you're traveling. If you if you're getting airline tickets and booking airline tickets, there's there's certain countries you can enter at certain places, and you'll always get it. You'll save sometimes five hundred or a thousand dollars on your ticket because it's a common port. So I've learned this from years of travel. So when people are booking me flights around the place, I always tell them to check certain ports for, uh, for prices. So Smart. Yeah, it was actually a lot cheaper. So three, three, four hundred dollars cheaper for me to fly in via LA. Oh, that's smart then. And of course, if you are out there in LA, definitely drop in uh, a dispensary and pick up uh, some edibles for yourself there. <laughs> I usually do that. Hell yes. Definitely will make the trip a lot better, my friend. And, uh, you know, that sort of thing is is very acceptable out here. And even now, you don't even have to uh, go to a physical dispensary. You can actually just call a uh, delivery service out there. Yeah, well, that's handy. That's handy. I'll, I'll probably be looking at that when I get there. Oh, yes. It's much more convenient. That's what I do love about living in California. Uh, most things are just a phone call away. What a world we live in. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> I, I was amazed when I went over there. Like, you can buy weed. It looks like makeup jars, you know. It's oh, all yeah. very, very... Um, High-end, fancy. Well done and nicely presented and all sorts of stuff, you know. You're in other countries. You've got to sneak around and buy a little dealy bag behind a pub somewhere, you know. Jeez. Yeah. The, before I let you go, I, I definitely wanted to ask you about that sort of thing in Australia. That must be uh, pretty damn difficult to do that sort of thing there. Well, yeah, absolutely. But I, I know some people, so you know, oh, I, okay. I get a reasonable supply. Hell yes. And I usually get it sort of delivered to my home and... um yeah, it lasts me a while, so I, I don't really deal with that sort of thing. So I don't really have to deal with black market or anything like that. So yeah, I, I get it pretty cheap, and I, I know the right people, and I grow what I can. So it's all good. Right on, man. Well, I definitely loved having you here. I really enjoyed our conversation, and of course, I would definitely recommend anyone out there listening to this to go uh, check you out at any sort of conference or anything. It seems like you uh, definitely like to do a bit of uh, crowd work and uh, do a little of a, a little bit of uh, improv when you go out there. And I love that sort of thing. It it really does make everyone feel more attached uh, to you, Max. It lets people really get to know you, especially when you're on stage for a few minutes there and you're just firing off your thoughts. People love that sort of thing. Well, I hope so, you know, and, and hopefully it encourages them as well to to realize that, you know, like I say, you don't have to be anybody special in inverted commas to make a difference. You've just got to be prepared to talk. You know, and I want people to know, like you get so many people who sort of look up to you as a guru or whatever. And I, want, I really want people to know I'm not a guru. I'm not anything special. I'm just like you. You know, I've been through all the same shit that everybody's been through, you know, and, and that's why when I'm at these conferences, I'm always out in the crowd and like at, at an Acapulco, I was out wandering around with the people all the time, you know. 
was, I'm always available to people to come and talk to and because I want them to, to see that, you know, what you hear in the radio show, this isn't someone putting on any of these airs and pretending to be something. This is just who I am. And, um, it, it, there's no pretense in it and there's no reason to think that, you can't make a difference if you're just prepared to speak and, and make your voice heard and be a good person. Be, be a, like I said, be the type of friend you'd want to have as a friend. Be the sort of person that you want to be around. And, and, you know, if you do that for people, you know, it rubs off on them and then perhaps they will go out and they'll become the change that they want to see in the world as well. So that's what it's all about, you know. Yes. And, of course, and thanks for having me on, brother. It's been a yeah. pleasure to come and talk to you. I let go of a bit of stuff that I've never shared before. I, so, like I said, I, um, I, thank, I, thank you yeah, for letting man. me do that. I really do appreciate that. And that's what it's all about here on this program. I definitely do take notes on certain things I want to cover, but all of that goes out the window. This definitely becomes an improv program. And uh, Max, it's been, again, it's been a complete, it's been a complete honor and just privilege to talk to you and have a real conversation with you here. And of course, your website, thecrowhouse.com. Definitely go check out Max's work. And go listen to the man. Max has uh, been doing great work for many, many years. Uh, Max, go ahead and plug anything you'd like to plug, any upcoming events. The floor is yours, my friend. Go ahead. Yeah, well, anything you you need to find out about me, if you want to contact me or anything, you can go to my website, thecrowhouse.com. Like I said, I'm going to be speaking in Philadelphia on the 13th, 14th, and 15th of September at the Anarchadelphia Conference. You can just search Anarchadelphia online and you'll find that. I'm going to be speaking on the 27th of September at the Avatars of Earth Gathering, at the Avatars of the Earth Gathering in Mount Shasta. And I'm probably going to be like, I'll be hanging around in LA from maybe the 16th until probably the 25th with just kind of at a loose end, just kind of kicking back and not doing anything. So if anybody in LA wants to catch up and say hi, you could probably send me an email and we'll probably catch up for lunch or do whatever in LA while I'm there. But I'll be there. I'll have about 10 days to to kick back nice. in, uh, in mid-September if anyone wants to hang out and then come and say hi and we'll, we'll just see what happens. So that's something else to think about as well. But uh, thanks very much for having me on, brother. Always a pleasure to come and talk to you. Um, we'll do it again sometime soon. Yes, sir. Did you have fun? Yeah, absolutely. A very enjoyable conversation clockwise my friend we'll do it again in the near future and take care of yourself out there and mahalo my friend back at you brother talk soon all right goodbye Bye-bye. and there he goes ladies and gentlemen a little bit of a delay there when we were talking but that's gonna happen when you are in another country and i definitely want to thank all of you out there for hanging out with me here tonight we do have a bit of a break to get into right now and of course when i return i do have the second guest Ready to go, Mr. John Olson. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. And welcome back to the program. I hope I didn't take too long for you. What an interesting guest Mr. Max Egan was first half. I hope you enjoyed that. And of course, what a week it's been, boys and girls. Florida wrecked by yet another hurricane. And the woman hurls a Molotov cocktail into immigration office in Florida. Yes, lots of things going on out there with our friends in the Ethereal 5. And of course, we do have another guest right now, Mr. John Olson. Let's bring him in. John, are you alive? I'm here. I'm alive. Fantastic. I'm glad you are alive and not dead yet. Yes, exactly. Me too. It was a long wait, so I had to ask. Mm -hmm. You never know. No, yeah. (laughs) You know, that's one one of my worries, by the way. 
like coming back from a break and finding out that my second guest is dead. Is dead, yes. That would that would put a damper on the second half of the, the show, that's for sure. That would really ruin things. <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I would agree with that. God, I can't imagine if that actually ever <laughs> has happened to anybody in, in like radio history, if they had like a guest and all of a sudden they drop dead, like live on the air. Yeah, you know, Holy I, crap. I, I'm sure it has happened. I, I don't know any specifics, but I'm sure in the in the history of radio and, and television, <laughs> they've had issues live like that. Wow. I, you know, I hope I could reach that level, uh, John. One day I could I could say that. Right, right, right. I don't know. Maybe you don't want to say that. Maybe you don't want the trauma of that. Well, I could use the the headlines, John. You know, I could use the publicity. That's true. There's no such thing as bad publicity. So I love that, John. I'm, I'm glad you're on my side. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Amazing. And of course, John, you have been here before. You are down with the program. You know the formula here. You know that we like to have a good time. And we like to have a serious time as well. And, John, you understand that. Yes. Yes, I do. I love coming on your show. You're, I just love the flow and, and, and the things that we get into with paranormal and everything. It's, it's, it's just a good time and I appreciate that. Yeah, I have a great time with you too, John. And, of course, before we jump right into all sorts of things... Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, John. Yeah, so um, I, I grew up in northern Utah, uh, the 70s, 80s. I'm the child of the 80s, I guess you could say. Um, and the home that I grew up in was over 100 years old, and it was very active in with paranormal things. Um, and it kind of got me really interested in the paranormal at that time. Uh, I wasn't able to to speak outside of the home just because my parents didn't want me to, you know, he, they, they didn't want people. I, it was a small town I grew up in. So they're, they're always worried about people talking about you. And, and they were afraid that people would think we were crazy if we said our house was haunted. So we, we were able to speak about it at home. But because I couldn't, you know, when I was very young, talk about it with my friends, I got really interested in it. And I would read everything I I could get my hands on. I would, uh, you know, watch every show I could about it. I remember my favorite show was In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy. I just absolutely loved that show. Uh, learning everything I could about UFOs and Bigfoot and ghosts and, and everything like that. And as I got older and was able to share my experiences with, with friends, uh, I had people coming to me to wanting to share their experiences. And so by the time I was 18, 17, 18, I was interviewing people and getting their stories. So I've spent about 28 years now uh, interviewing people and gathering their stories about the paranormal. Yeah, that's wild. You've been at it for such a long time. And of course, both of your parents, ultra religious, correct? Um, yeah, I grew up in, in a very religious home. Um, I really felt like maybe the the whole thing about keeping it a secret wasn't not so much a, a religious thing as it was more just a small town thing. You know, people like to gossip in small towns. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> and, and and as you know, back then it was not talked about like it is now. It's not, yeah. you know, you've got ghost hunters and, and all different kinds of shows on TV. And it's it's much more open for people to be able to share their stories. Um, but it wasn't like that back in the day. So it really wasn't like that back in the day. You're right. Uh, yeah. Things are a lot much more acceptable now. Yeah, it really is, which has been 
great, um, especially for me to to be able to interview more people. Um, I have more people coming forward because they're not as afraid to share their stories and and they know that for the you know if they want me to keep their anonymity and not put their actual name, that I will make sure that I do that, which they they like. And you know, some of them some of them don't mind at all. And and so yeah, it's it's definitely much more open world that we live in now. Definitely, that is true. And I'm sorry to to go right back to your parents, but I'm trying to draw or paint the picture for everyone out there in mm-hmm. your earliest inception. And you remember going to, you're a Mormon, correct? Um, Yes. Yep. I, I was raised Mormon. I am, I am um, uh, LDS now. Yes. Correct. So you, so you're pretty much deep into the game. In other words, um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I've been my whole life. I've been LDS. So, uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm always curious about that sort of thing. That's why. Oh, right. I'm always yeah. interested in that. Well, and, and I have, you know, it's interesting, especially doing this. Um, I have a lot of friends that because, you know, interviewing people and getting to know people, you know, I have friends from a lot of different denominations. I have friends that are actually Wiccans. I have friends that are, um, I have a couple friends who are actually, you know, uh, were raised Muslim. And so, you know, I've got to, to meet people from across all kinds of spectrums. Um, and, um, and it's kind of really great. That's kind of, I think it's a bridge. I think paranormal can be a bridge for a lot of different people because it's something that everybody gets to experience. Well, I, I, I don't say everybody, but a lot of people from across the board gets to experience. Yeah, that's one thing uh, for certain. Lots of people actually do have these experiences, but they're often uh, very quiet about it. They don't really want to share with their friends uh, what they might have seen or might not have seen mm-hmm. uh, because they don't want to be made fun of, of course. Right, right, exactly. Um, and even even myself, uh, when I wrote my first book, which was about uh, three and a half years ago, um, there were a lot of my friends at the time that knew I, you know, they they had a little bit of an inkling that I interviewed people, but but then it really came out. They're like, oh, you know, you actually, you know, wrote a book about this. You actually go out and talk to people. You, you know, investigate things. And but I can honestly say I didn't lose any friends when that happened, which was good. I'm, I have friends that don't necessarily want to talk about it and that's fine. You know, we avoid it or do other, con- you know, conversations, but, uh, it was a little bit of a fear me when I wrote my first book, just that it's going to be officially out and out there, but it's actually gone really well. Understood. And how do the parents feel about you now in terms of your pursuit of the paranormal? You know, um, it, it's gone completely 180 degrees. It's, it's turned completely over. Like I said, when I was younger, they, they didn't want us to talk about it at all. Um, now my parents, I, I, they're always asking for books to give away. They're, I mean, they're, you're proud parents of me, which I, 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 I appreciate. And as they still live in that house, um, they still call me and, or I'll talk to them and they'll give me reports of, of what's been going on in the house and what's happened. And, and so it's kind of turned around all the way with them. At one point, were they completely against what you were into? 
in terms of the paranormal? Well, I think that, you know, they weren't, they, they never, you know, took away my books or told me that I couldn't watch this show or anything. In fact, I remember being camping when I was little and my dad said, oh, I, I brought this book for us to read and it was Bigfoot stories. Mm. And so, you know, I don't think they were opposed in that way. I think um, mostly it was just the fear of people thinking that, you know, if we start talking about our house being haunted, or, you know, what are people going to think about me? Um, but it was really when I was in high school and I started sharing my stories at parties or on dates or, you know, that they really kind of let go and said, you know, it's it's OK. You guys can go ahead and talk about it. Um, I have an older sister and she, you know, she's gone off. She does um, a podcast about paranormal and she had a, a, a group where she would go investigate. And so we both both me and my older sister kind of ended up turning that way because of the way that we grew up and, and the house that we grew up in. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So dad was kind of open-minded then. He was the open-minded one uh, between you and mom. Well, I, you know, I think more, actually my mother, when it comes to the ghost part and mm-hmm. about the ghost being in the house, my mother was definitely more open. Um, there, I mean, not only did my parents say, don't tell people that our house is haunted <laughs> forever, my dad would say, you know, but our house is not haunted. But then I would find out later that he was having experiences at this time and that uh, he just didn't tell us because he didn't tell you. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't want to admit it. But then when he finally did, he's like, oh, yeah, I've had these experiences um, even while you were kids. And so wow. you know, he came ex- ex- accept into it, I guess. Did you did, did he ever tell you any more of these stories and did you ever include them in your books? Um, yeah, I've, I've included a few of their stories okay, in the books good, as well. Um, and the new one, in fact, the new one that I have coming, that's come out, it just came out a couple of weeks ago. There's a, a little section about, um, some, some new experiences that my parents have had in the house in the last little while and, and a few experiences that I've had, uh, in recent times in the house as well. Ah, okay. Yes. You are referring to your new book, Stranger West. Yes, correct. Stranger West. Okay. That is correct. I'm going to have to put that photograph up uh, oh, yeah. for those that are in the chat room now. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Stranger West is book three in the Stranger Bridgerland series. I remember that. I, I did read the first book. I do have to be honest with you. Oh, nice. Not Thank the you. Second I appreciate one. You, you doing that, reading that. So. It, it takes, the thing is, there's a lot of books that I get sent and some books, oh, I bet. Some books that I do buy personally, but I mm-hmm. don't have the time to read them all. Right. I can only imagine that because I, I, I myself have a bookshelf full of books that I, I need to get to. But so I understand that. Yeah. Isn't that doesn't that suck? You just don't have time, even though you want to read these books. You, you really yeah. do. But you just don't have the time. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And uh, I have to put this section off 15 minutes before I go to bed and I say, OK, I'm going to read for 15 minutes because I want to, you know, get everything turned off and, and read right before bed. That's how I get it in. So that's probably better than those that look at their cell phones before going to sleep uh, to read, you know, like um, uh, some sort of PDF there like most people do. But uh, what I've noticed is it's hard for me to go to sleep after I start reading something. So. I'm glad you were able to do that, though. Not many people can. Yeah. Yeah. It actually helps me calm down, which is kind of weird, I know. Um, but yeah, it helps me calm down right before bed, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> That's just how you're built, my friend. Yeah. You are yeah, I guess so. You're wired a little differently. Yeah. I'm guessing so. So, John, Halloween is coming up, and I can imagine that's going to be pretty busy for you. 
that October? Yeah, October generally is really busy. I have a few, um, you know, interviews and a few, you know, uh, ghost tours that, that I'm going to go help with. And there's always a few things that come up right at last minute. And, and I'm one of these that has a hard time saying no because I just love talking about it. So I end up really busy through October. Ah, yeah. I, I can imagine that's going to be really busy for you. And October 31st is actually the third. Uh, year three of this program's inception. And I got to be honest with you, I'm extremely proud of what I accomplished here. There's been individuals who have helped finance certain things and really helped elevate this program. And I am forever thankful and just grateful for those individuals. You can't do everything alone is what I learned as much as I want to be a hard ass at times. <laughs> there's definitely people that have helped me. And they know who they are. And, and, you know, I love those people to, to, to death. And this show is, I don't have any kids. So this show is like my child. You know, right. I, I love this thing. And I'm sure you can, you can understand that being a parent yourself. And, you know, this is like a child of mine. I have to nurture it and take care of it. All that jazz, my friend. Oh, yes, I, I agree. And I and I really enjoy your show. I, I got the opportunity to listen to the first half with Max. Oh, you heard and, that? Yeah, I listened to the first half with Max. And that was such a great interview. I loved it. Um, he's he's led such an interesting life. And you, you I mean, oh my you do gosh. such a good job of, of interviewing people. It's It's just easy to listen to. So, you know, to be honest with you, I don't consider these to be like interviews, per se. They're more like conversations. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why they're, they're so easy and, and kind of easygoing. So I'm still taken back by the things I, I, we, we all heard today by Mac. What mm -hmm. happened to him? Um, that's, you know, traumatizing, you know, that the guy was raped. Yeah. That was, that, that took me back too when I heard that and, and kind of that thing where, you know, he didn't feel like he got to have closure with his mother before she passed yeah. on, which has got to be hard as that well. That was hard to hear. You know, the, that was really hard to hear. If you could see my face, my jaw was open open for a lot of that. And just, I felt really bad, by the way, it was really, uh, kind of difficult for me to just sit here and listen to that. Yeah. Without it was. feeling kind of emotional to a certain extent. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Yep. I, I agree. It was, and, and for him to share that yeah, is, wow. is great because, you know, he's, he's not alone with people who have had experiences like that. And, and to have somebody like, like Max come out and feel free to talk about it is, is it's very powerful. Totally didn't expect that. Yep. That, that was out of left, left field. Yeah. I could, <laughs> I could kind of tell it was, it was not something that, that you were aware of. And, no. and it kind of, you know, it, it kind of screwed me up for a moment there. Yeah, it took us all kind of by surprise when he said that. So, geez, yeah, I can't even imagine that, my friend. Can can no. you imagine that? Imagine that, John. You're, you no. know, let's say you're in his position, but let's turn it around a little bit more and say you were with, you know, fellow Mormons and they knew your parents and all that sort of thing. And this this guy just leads you into his house and bad stuff happens to you. I mean, yeah, geez, can you imagine that happening to you, John? No, I, wow. I really can't. I mean, the closest thing, I mean, I, I never was abused like that. I remember when I was, I had a, I was around that age and I was helping my dad move a neighbor in a, in a town one over. 
and I was playing with the his son and my dad left to take a load without telling me and I all of a sudden my dad was gone and that was traumatic enough for me that it's <laughs> you know to this day I remember it let alone something like that happening to you and, and especially when you're supposed to be in a group that's that you're supposed to trust you know your your mother trusts them and it's, I just can't even imagine Indeed, indeed. It always killed me, my friend. Growing up, seeing the kids out there in elementary uh, elementary school, I can always tell which kids grew up without a father. Uh, this this might give me some heat. Some people won't like this, but I can even tell some of the, some of those kids they were that you know I could tell they grew up with sisters or a grandmother. They were you know you couldn't really roughhouse with them too much. Mm-hmm. They were slightly yeah. feminine at times, and mm-hmm. these were things I noticed when I was just a kid. So as I'm older, I'm, I'm even realizing more and more things uh, all the time. And it, it's hard for me to uh, say, you know, it doesn't really affect me or, you know, it doesn't really matter. But it does mm-hmm. make it does make me sad, though, a lot, especially since, you know, I grew up with both mo- a mom and dad and I have a great relationship with them and, and I love them very much. And I hear about these other people that didn't grow up with either a mom or a dad. And mm-hmm. that that makes me so sad. Yeah, it really does. It's, it's, it's really hard to see, um, when kids go through that. Um, I've, for, for many years, about eight years, I was, um, an assistant football coach oh, okay. uh, at the high school and, and the little league level. I actually still do little, little league and, um, the kids that didn't have, uh, came from a one parent home, whatever it was. Um, you could tell that they, they just tried to latch on really hard to, uh, authority figures, um, because they were missing, they yeah. seemed to be missing something. Now, I don't want to take anything from some, you know, mother or father that's sure. out there trying to do it alone because, tough, you know, bl- yeah, tough, real and, tough and bless you. And you're not, you're not doing anything wrong. I just, like you say, it's, it's, it can be tough on kids. Um, oh, yeah. and, 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 and parents, you know, I, I am actually, you know, I have three children, but, uh, from my first marriage, I went through a divorce. It was really tough. Um, I'm remarried, but one of the things that I did is, you know, through the divorce that I, I absolutely put my foot down was, you know, I'm not going to be an every other Saturday father. I am, you know, I'm going to have them every weekend and as much through the week. So I, you know, live as close as I can so I can, you know, could have them as, as absolutely much as I wanted to, because then they give more in my life than, than probably, I don't know that I give to them, my wow. kids, but you know, it's, it, yeah, that's really important to me being a father. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. really important. I hear you. And, and John, so you went through the whole legal system then with with the divorce and all that jazz mm-hmm. i did yeah oh, no. it was it was tough <laughs> oh i bet man yeah it ain't yeah, easy it tough. no it's not you're lucky it's not. you're lucky you're not in california oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah definitely they would have um, really got you they they would be it would be really <laughs> tough i'll tell you so oh yeah man just lots of memories in my mind of Seeing my best friend, uh, he grew up with uh, two brothers and a sister, and I still remember growing up with this guy, and he only had a mother, and I recall seeing different boyfriends every couple of months. Mm-hmm. I, I could remember all those days. I, I could tell that sort of thing does affect uh, the kids, for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, it definitely does. It has an effect on them. And, and even though we tried to make it as easy on our kids as we could, they've even, you know, had effects from it, you know, but they, they feel open enough to share it with me, which is good. My kids, when they, when they're having an issue. So, and, and you got, uh, I'm sorry to get personal here, but you got, you got married again, obviously, right? I did. Yeah. Okay. And I was lucky enough. I found the most wonderful woman. She, I, I tease with her. She says, I'm not perfect. And I said, no, but you're, you're perfect for me. For you. Right. She's just, uh, wonderful. Annie, she's actually helped me out quite a bit. In fact, it was shortly after I married her that she, she, you know, came to me and she's like, you know, what's all this? paperwork, what's all this stuff that you've got? And I'm like, well, this is my, you know, I've collected, I interview people for my books and interview people about the paranormal. And, you know, before we got married, I told her about the house I grew up in and everything. And she was like, you've got to do the book, you know, even though it's been in the back of my mind forever. And she was really the one that, that gave me the confidence ah, to write okay. my first one and help me through, you know, writing these other ones. And she's just been such, I mean, such a support. She's just amazing. Just an amazing woman. So that's very, that's good. I'm glad you were able to find a, another caring person out there for you that is compatible with uh, you and the things you like to do. Lots of individuals aren't that fortunate, my friend. And some people right. even have a third wife. Yeah, that's true. I don't that's know how. true. That does happen how, sometimes. How does, how does that happen, man? I, you know, as a guy, I'm always wondering, how do you make that mistake again? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure, you know, there's people out there who've, who've been through it several times. They and, have. And I don't and, know how. <laughs> I don't know how. Yeah, I, I don't know either. No, if I, if I had to go through a heartbreaking divorce again, you know, heaven forbid that, um, I don't, I don't know if I could ever do that again. Um, you know, put my heart out there, but, uh, yeah, it's it's just interesting uh, that people do it. And that people, people do. do it. Yep. Right. And I was I was glad that I that I had the I guess the faith in myself to to go back out and and find somebody. So by the way, I do thank you for your openness here. That's what I really do appreciate, my friend. I'm I'm glad we're able to have this conversation. Oh yeah, no problem. I I feel comfortable sharing and and you know, you never know who's out there having similar issues that might need to hear this and hear, oh, you know, it does get better and there is, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. This so. has been a very emotional episode, I have to say. Yeah, it has. It's, it it's has a, with Max and everything. It's yeah. really taking uh, effect on me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's nope, been it's pretty hard good. to do here, but nope. we we got to do it. And of course, like I, we were talking earlier about religion and all that jazz. I do see that uh, with a lot of millennials that that are you know going away from that, and um, whatever this is my my really belief is whatever makes you happy and whatever you can find that brings you that happiness, whether you find that in religion or whether you find that in spiritualism or whatever you find that, um, if it helps you to be a better person, if it helps you to treat people on the street better, if your family better, you need to do that. And some people, it takes, you know, 50 years, 60 years of their life to find what that is for themselves. And, and maybe this generation, uh, if, you know, they've got a lot of things, it's, it's about a lot of things and maybe spiritual, spirituality isn't a big part of their life, but there will come a part or there will come a time, I believe, in most people's lives when, whether through tragedy or some other way that, that they have to find 
spirituality within themselves. Whether you believe in a, you know, a God or whether you believe in, um, natural world, whatever, you, you know, whatever you believe in, uh, you've got to find that within yourself to keep going and keep, you know, and, and realize that it's about helping others in your life and helping those around you. And that's what builds you up. And that's just what I found. The more I help others, the better I feel about myself. And I'll give you an example. When I was in the depths, not to go back to my uh, my divorce again, that's okay. but when I was in, when I was in the depths of despair, um, I had somebody who told me, you know, when, when you're feeling really low and bad about yourself, if you'll reach out to others that might be hurting, um, that will help you. And I kind of took that to heart. So I would spend a couple weekends when I would get a couple hours, just go to a retirement community and ask the nurse, Hey, who, is there somebody here who doesn't have family, but would love to have a visitor? And I would just go sit with them and listen to their stories and talk to them and I would leave feeling a lot better about myself wow. and about my situation because I was able to give a little bit to somebody else, which, um, and I think that a lot of times, you know, it's, I'm kind of going off track from millennials and religion and stuff, but like, I mean, you've got to find your path of what makes you happy and what brings you you know, joy in your life. I agree 100%. And of course, true salvation is found within. I'm not, I'm not a religious guy. I'm an agnostic <laughs> atheist. I keep Jesus in my back pocket. Right. And, and you know, <laughs> I, I respect all the gods out there. Yeah. No yeah. doubt. You have to. And you, you really just don't know what is in store for you. If you are depressed right. and you want to kill yourself, there's all that out there. Right. But you, you can't know, give into, you, you really can't give into that sort of thing though. Because yeah. John, as I said earlier on the program, a life can just change in an instant. Yeah, it can. It can. That's and the, it can the happen craziest, to anybody. It can happen to anybody. And that's the craziest thing. I'm not sure if anyone out there is listening who's ever had that situation happen in their lives where they are at their lowest. And then, uh, instantly something changes in time and their whole life is turned upside down for the better. Mm hmm. And I go back again to listening to Max and he says he's he's known what it's like to live in the ditch and live in a mansion. And yeah. it's people like that 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 has that perspective that that I really appreciate and I like to listen to because they know both sides and they've they've experienced a lot of different things. It sounded like, you know, Max went through a hard divorce as well is what it sounded like. And, yeah, he and did. so just to listen to to what he had gone through, you know. Just listening to people and, and understanding, you know, it helps a lot. It was pretty heavy. Yeah, it was. It was. Man, I'm glad I had that talk, though. And that's what I like a lot about this program. You know, I do want to have these serious shows and these serious discussions. And that's exactly what they are. They're pretty serious. We went into some uh, pretty dark subject matter there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some deep stuff. So, but it it's it's good. I I personally like you know delving in and learning all I can, uh, whatever the subject is. So no doubt. And going back into uh, marriage and and all that. Unfortunately, we have to talk about that for a second here. But mm -hmm. I also wanted to say that polls are also indicating that marriage also is significantly uh, going down here. Lots of lots of uh, the divorce rates. Going through the roof, lots of people not wanting to get married, not wanting to make those mistakes that others have made. Time and time again, you come across many married couples who are completely unhappy, John, that regret 
being married, they regret having children, and that's when the Xanax and other barbiturate habits come into play, John. Yes, it can turn to, you know, a lot of bad habits. Little League moms and the Pop Warner parents, you know what I'm talking about, John. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, you know, um, mom's little helper that, you know, helps her get through the day or, or whatever it is. It's, it's unfortunate that we, and, and I found myself doing this as well, whether it can be drugs or it can be Anything. addictions on your phone or, yeah. you know, a lot of different addictions that you can turn to when, when you're not feeling or you're not feeling appreciated or if you're not feeling loved or you're not able to, you know, something's gone wrong with your marriage or whatever it is or your work and and yeah it's it's important again like I said um, whatever your spiritual belief we'll call it that is um, it's good to know that you know try and find something that you can turn to and and help you get through that rather than necessarily drugs or addictions or whatever indeed and John have you ever gone that route yourself personally have you ever almost found yourself with you know, all the, the universal vices in life. You know, I, I honestly can say that I, I haven't. Okay. Um, I, you know, I, I guess I, I, I've never been, I've never tried. I've never partaken, I guess you could say. So I've never, I've never experienced that. Um, but I, I, I just don't know if I have that addictive, addictive personality or not. Um, I'm not, just not sure. Understood. Probably for the best that you have not sort of dabbled in that, in that realm. Right. And, and, you know, to each their own. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, it's, to, it's just your choice, whatever. Uh, people like coffee. Some people like putting little, um, little liquor in their coffee. Right. Right. Again, you know, back to getting you through the day, so <laughs> to speak, or whatever you need to do to get yourself through the day. So can't really blame people nowadays, John. People have lost their minds. So sometimes they need to use a couple gimmicks to get them through the day or night yeah yeah i sometimes that, that happens um we live in a in a in a world where i i often say to my friends that we're drowning in you know, let's say drowning in information but starving for knowledge and it's mm. it's kind of that thing where we go through the day and we feel bombarded by so many things and we overwhelm ourselves and People turn to things to try and relax and try and, you know, gain, regain a few minutes of their, of their mind and, and whatever they need to. And, and I can definitely see that in the world that we live in, the, the kind of things that can just bombard us over and over again. I mean, just look at the recent shooting that just took place. A 30 year old uh, male went nuts over at, over in a Texas there, the city of Midland, Texas, rather. Yeah, it's, that's so sad. It's, it's, it's crazy that people feel like that that's okay to do. And I just don't understand, um, it's become, mentality. it's really become the new normal here, John, where someone gets angry, offended uh, about anything and they want to go and shoot somebody now. Yeah. And, and that's remarkable. That's, yeah. It's just, it's, it's such a sad commentary, comment, comment on right, right. the society that we have. Um, and, and it's interesting because I see a lot, you can see a lot of anger come out, whether it's road rage or, you know, like I said, I, I do little league football and the anger that comes out in the parents, in, in, in oh parents at little league games at <laughs> officials. And yeah, it's just, it, I don't know where all this pent up anger, anger. is coming from. Uh, did my friend, my friend, I think it's just man, 
for the most part, most men rather are just not living the lives that they want to. They are just, they're just so unhappy. They're forced to work jobs that don't want to be at. And that's just, that's just men. That's just life. It is. And that's, and it's really sad. Um, you know, I tried to tell my oldest son just started college and I tried to, you know, talk to him and I say, you know, poor poor kid, you know, (laughs) poor kid. Right. And I was saying, you know, there's a lot of things in life that you, that people feel like they have to do. Um, that you have to go to school, you have to go to college, you have to get a job and you got to do this. And I'm like, and I tried to explain to him that you, at this point in stage in life, try and figure out what you love to do and what's going to make you happy. Yeah. And if that's going to school and getting a degree in this or this or whatever it is, you know, make sure that 20 years from now, you don't look back and say, I wish I had, I wish I had done this. I wish I had done this. Absolutely. Think about it now. Because I, you know, because of the life that I led, um, it wasn't until I was, you know, 40 years old that I wrote my first book, even though that was a dream that I had forever. Um, and I, I'm trying to instill in him and my other kids that, that you have a responsibility to yourself to find what makes you happy. And whether that's, you know, brings enough, just enough money to live or brings you a lot of money. It's, it's not about the money. It's about what it gives to you. What and drives I really you. Try. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I I fully agree with that. That's good advice for your kids and for the listeners as well. Uh, those that are younger or maybe even those that want to change careers as well. Uh, you're yeah. never you're never too old by the way if you are listening to this to change careers. No, you're never it's never too late. Never too there's late. There's a lot there's a lot of people like that out there, John, that are just worried to make the move and uh, today or maybe Monday or Tuesday it is the mm-hmm. time if you are hesitating, if you have a boss you dislike, if you have coworkers you hate, mm-hmm. it's time to act upon those things and uh, improve yourself and better your own life, uh, yeah. your, your lives rather. It's better to do that instead of having to go through the whole routine, the whole song and dance and, and hate everyone around you. And then you're going to want to kill somebody. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> I, one thing that I always say, try and say is never kill yourself for a job that would replace you if you drop dead. You know, they're going to replace you in a couple days. Don't kill yourself for a job where they're going to replace you in a couple days if you die. Exactly. So, they're, they're, yeah. They are willing to put the knife in your back, my friends. <laughs> yeah. Keep that yeah. in mind. No matter where you are. Yep. They will do it. Yep. It's never too late to find your happiness, no matter how, you know, how old you are, where you are in life. Surround yourself with people who are going to be positive and believe in you and they're, they're out there. And if they don't, if they don't, you know, if they're not positive and they're not, you know, helping you with your journey, then, you know, find somebody who is. All this, so. uh, all this positivity here, John, it's making me emotional tonight. <laughs> I, yeah, it's kind of, it really a is more return than of, uh, but I, I like it. It's, it's good. Me too. I, I think it's uh, definitely useful for the listeners out there, especially those who are down about something uh, in their lives. I think this ha- has been good from start yeah. to uh, finish here. Yeah, yeah, I I like it. It's like you say, it's made a little turn, but it's good. Maybe somebody out there definitely needs to hear about it. Oh yes, the power of positivity. Very yes. true. As <laughs> as silly and as hacky and corny as that sounds, uh, it makes a difference. 
Yeah, it really does. I mean, if you have a positive attitude, you know, positive things will come into your life. And and the older I get, the more I believe that. Um, even right. if it just makes you feel better to have to be positive. So. Oh yes, and of course, backtracking here, the last time you were here, John, you took us through a trip down north Utah or northern Utah, rather. Mm-hmm. Last time, and uh, the home of the Mormons, as I like to say. Right. There's quite a few of us up here. <laughs> Lots of, I, you know, I do like the Mormons a lot. I, I had a number of teachers when I was younger who were Mormon and they were always so kind to me. That's what really stood out to me. Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, yeah, I, I try and be me. Um, I try and just be, you know, a, a good person and help those around me. And, and, you know, if, if that comes, I, I just try and be myself. Whatever that is. So whatever I do. So, yes. And going back to your parents' home, Mm -hmm. do you have any experiences, John, of perhaps maybe a family member that you might have encountered in that home? You know, I, I, my, on my mother's side of the family, um, my, my grandmother and my grandfather were actually in Denmark when, when I was growing up. My mother is from Denmark. Oh, wow. And, okay. Yeah. And so, um, <clears throat> neither one of, um, my grandparents were LDS on my mother's side, mm. but they would come and visit us every summer. Um, my grandma came every summer. My grandpa came every other summer and they did this the whole time we were, we were growing up and, when my grandfather passed away, he was in Denmark and my mother was the only, my mother and father were the only one that, that were able to go back for the funeral. We weren't um, financially able to go back the rest of us at the time. But after that time, what was interesting is during the summertime when my grandpa was there, you'd wake up in the morning and the first thing you would smell is, is the coffee down in the, in the kitchen. And I loved that smell. And after he passed away, um, it was a couple weeks later. I remember walking downstairs and just getting hit in the face with the smell of coffee. I'm going to stop and, you right there, John. Yeah. Well, because I've told this story on my show plenty of times and my story it, it mirrors your story quite a bit. I'll tell you, I'll tell you in a minute. Continue, John. Okay. Um, no problem. Um, and I, I searched all over for the smell and couldn't find where it was coming from. There wasn't anything in the house. Nobody, nobody drank it except for my grandfather when he was there. And it, it happened. Then it went away and then it would come every once in a while. And then it hit me and then also my mother that that, that's how we knew that my grandfather was visiting us. His spirit was visiting wow. us was that smell of coffee that would come into the house that would come with him. And that's, it was kind of a comforting thing saying, you know, grandpa is here visiting. Um, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yes. My story is quite similar. However, uh, it was my grandmother. Oh, yeah. Very strange experience after my grandmother had passed. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, it's I'm not exactly sure. At I mean, at the time, I wasn't exactly sure if it was a figment of my imagination or if this was something that actually happened. I just assumed that I would have a rational explanation. But as time has gone by, I still have no legit rational explanation what it what it may or may not have been. But for the longest time, my grandmother, back in my parents' house, uh, late at night, she would go to the kitchen and just start washing dishes. And this happened around 1 or 2 a.m., like clockwork. And, um, well, after she passed, it had been several months. And one day, I just woke up from being asleep. 
And I thought, I'll go say hi to my grandmother. Because I heard noise coming from the kitchen. I heard pots and pans. I heard the sink on. So I got up and I was like thinking, oh, I'm going to go say hi to grandma. And I walked down the hallway and into the kitchen area. And no one's there, John. There, There's there's no pots or pans anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it definitely sounds like your your grandma was letting you know that she was still around and and a way of connecting with you to let you know. That's what it seems like to me anyway. For the longest time, John, I, I didn't tell my dad about it mm-hmm. for years. I never told him. No, you. so you never did get a chance to tell him? No, no, no. My dad's still alive. Oh, okay. Oh, no, okay, no, no. Good. Yeah, my dad's actually very open-minded. He's he's always been into the paranormal, into you, into everything. Oh, awesome. Except except the conspiracy angle. He's not oh. too into that too much. Right. Yeah, right. Okay. He's not too into that, but. So what did mm-hmm. he say when you did share that with him? He was kind of not really skeptical at all. He was kind of believing it. So I'm thinking something might have happened. Maybe he experienced something himself because he, he never really told me, but uh, I could tell when I was telling him that he was, uh, he was believing me. He wasn't at all skeptical of it. He was, he was in totally. Oh, in. Well, that's good. That's good. That's got to be comforting for him as well. So probably, yeah, probably. So, you know, right along those lines, I'm going to, I'm going to share a, a story that happened uh, to me with my grandmother. Um, and it was kind of more, I would almost say, well, I'll, I'll just tell you the story and then I'll let you decide. Nice. Um, I, I was married with, and my, my first, my oldest was, um, just a baby at the time. And, my wife at the time was a hairdresser. So on Saturday mornings, she always got up really early. She had to go do um, bridal hair and things. And so she got up and left and I was laying in bed and <clears throat> I was between sleep and awake in that state where you're, you're not quite awake, but you're not really asleep. Right. And there was, and there was a knock on the door. And this is, this story is actually in my second book, uh, Beyond Stranger Bridgeland. Um, and I said, come in. And my grandmother walked in the room and she sat on the end of the bed and she was talking to me and asking me how the baby was doing, how my mother was doing, how everybody was. And about halfway through the conversation, I re- I stopped and I said, Grandma, you passed away. And she got a big smile on her face and she said, that doesn't mean I can't come visit every once in a while. And she got up and walked out and shut the door. And about then I came all the way fully awake. And I laid there for a minute and I thought, was that a dream? Was that real? Wow. And after thinking for quite a while, I, I, I believe it was real. I believe it was real. I believe my grandmother, she had passed away about two months before. Again, I wasn't able to go to the funeral. And it was a, a way that I got closure and got to say goodbye to my grandmother. That's the weirdest thing because it was two months exactly after she passed when I had that experience. Oh, really? That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting that that it would be two months like that but um yeah it's 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 nice to get some reassurance or some feeling that that those that we love when they pass on there is stuff left of them and how how, now i'm thinking you know i'm gonna talk to dr michael Shermer probably pretty soon here Mm -hmm. i'm wondering how the hell do i convince him to be open-minded of this sort of experience because, you know, he's just going to rip it to shreds as soon as I share this one with him. Right. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure. And, and, and you know what? That's, that's fine because, you know, 
I, How do we convince scientific, him? Yeah. yeah, they've got scientific, you know, explanations and um, – you just, I guess you just go, I mean, I hate to use the word faith, but I just have to go on faith that sure. it wasn't just a dream. Maybe, you know, maybe it was my, my psyche, my psyche trying to close the gap, not having closure. Um, and that's a possibility, but I just believe that it wasn't. I believe it was my grandmother coming back to say, you know, goodbye. And so. It, and it took a lot for me, honestly, to get that story and put that story in um, the book mm-hmm. because it is such a private story. Um, and yeah. it's easy for people to rip it apart. To dismiss and, it. Right, right. Yeah. But but I'm actually OK with that, too, because that's their belief. And people people tend to cling to their beliefs. And and I like to really focus on what we might have in common with people because I feel like there's enough in life trying to rip people apart by <laughs> yeah. their differences. Sure. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, he definitely would, would think that, that it wasn't, you know, real, quote unquote. But, but yeah, I just can go off of how I felt and, and what I felt during the, the whole experience. Well, you know, another thing, uh, Mr. Shermer, he's actually starting to see the light just uh, ever so slightly in terms of what, what may or may not have happened in terms of Jeffrey Epstein and what's been going on with him after he learned about the two disabled cameras that just happened right. to um, not work once uh, Mr. Epstein was either murdered or he killed himself. We're not sure. Uh, John, what's your personal opinion on this? I'm sure you have been reading and all that jazz. Yeah, I, you know, I read all about it. It's, it just seems quite a coincidence. Like, there's a lot of coincidences that would have to go along if if that was an actual suicide kind of thing. There seems to be a lot of coincidences, right? Yeah, and and so it's one of those things I'm pretty sure we'll never know everything that's gone on or what went on with that. You know, if there's the richest people in the world that was connected to that, of course he's going to disappear and 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 you know die in a in a suicide. So, you know, we'll never know the full story of what he knew. So, it's like a damn movie, right? Oh yeah, you could <laughs> definitely make a movie out of that. Yeah, definitely. I'm waiting for the Lifetime channel to get on that already. <laughs> right. I know something. Uh, you know they I can't wait. They're going to do it. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm. They're going to make a movie about this. There, there has to be starring uh, Johnny Depp as uh, Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> yeah, it's Jeffrey Epstein. Yep. Oh, that would be <laughs> that, funny. That Johnny Depp. It, so. I would watch it in a heartbeat. But that Johnny yeah. Depp, he's. I don't know what to think of him anymore. I used to. I used to say he was my favorite actor, but now I'm kind of embarrassed to even say that. Yeah, he's kind of gone a little bit off the deep end a little bit. It Ooh, seems like hasn't you know hasn't he ever? Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting that some people, you know, they do that. They get to a certain level of stardom and fame and and just something happens. The booze got him, my friend. Yeah, it could be definitely that. I think the booze really did it to him. The booze and uh, the women, you know, the good life. Yeah, the good life. for, for For some, that's the good life. Right, right. And, you know, you meet people and we keep going back to this, but uh-huh. you meet people and they, they seem to have a hole in their soul yeah. that they cannot fill no matter what they try and put in there, um, that's whether the, it's a bigger yeah. house or. That, that's the crazy thing, because, again, you have interviewed countless people about the paranormal and, and you put their stories into these books. And I've always wondered personally how you discern 
from, I guess you could say, um, how, well, basically, how would you distinguish accurate stories from inaccurate eyewitness accounts, uh, John? If you do that, do you discern uh, any way? You know, I have to I have to go off my gut feeling when I'm interviewing somebody, mm-hmm. um, when I'm asking them questions and uh, going through their story, because there's times where you're interviewing somebody, and especially I have to do some by phone, some by Skype. And then if I'm really lucky, I, I get to do it face to face and you hear it in their voice when they get to the scary part and you can kind of feel what they felt in the moment. And, um, and there's times where you're like, Oh, this doesn't feel right or doesn't seem right. And then there's times when, wow, this person really experienced something that, that touched them, that, that changed their life in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Oh yes. Oh yes. That's the, the wild, the wild thing. Once you really start talking to individuals, myself included, when I'd go talk to people at conferences and I'm face to face with them and lots of these people are scholars. They have, they've gone to school for, for years and years and they continue to go to school, some of them. And Mm -hmm. a lot of these individuals, John, as smart as they are, there are so many gaps and holes and their logic and critical thinking, it really scares the hell out of me. And I've talked about this with Dr. Michael Shermer before. It, it almost seems like every ultra intelligent scholar I've talked to in person, uh, once we shift the conversation to into other subjects, I really start to see who this person is. And I could see there are uh, so many flaws in this person and they don't even see it because they're probably that that damn smart, John. <laughs> right. And 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 and. They're specialized in one area and, and they kind of can make you blinded in other areas, which, which is really interesting. Like an idiot savant. <laughs> right. Yes. Can tell you how many matchsticks just fell on the floor, but not sure how to tell you, you know, how matchsticks are made, I guess. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's, it's very unusual that I've come across many of these uh, walks of life out there, John, through this uh, journey. Yeah, it is. And, you know, going back just a little bit, you know, we talk about people who are always trying to fill that hole in their in their life with more things and more everything like that. And Mm. in my my time of interviewing people um, and getting to know people, I've met people from all walks of life. And the people it's interesting, even the people there, there's rich people and people who are so very less have less in life but but in both areas there's people that would give their shirt off their back to help you and those are the happiest people that i meet those that are willing to help other people and willing to go out of their way to help people they seem really happy and i've met people who have don't have hardly anything and yet they want to you know feed you while you're there they want to give you what they have you know, to offer whether it's cookies or this or that or show you hospitality. And they don't seem to have nearly as much many things, but they're so much happier in life. And it's, I find that so interesting that a giving spirit seems to, to whether that's a, a byproduct or an actual fact of being happy, it's, it's just really interesting to me. Yeah, it could come out a different uh, combination of uh, uh, outcomes and scenarios that could lead someone to be very selfless as well. Lots mm-hmm. of people who have uh, went through all sorts of emotional trauma, maybe even some physical trauma like our, our friend Max as well. Right. That definitely leads someone uh, to all sorts of roads. Yeah, it really does. And And when you have a tragedy or something like that, you can either let it eat you up 
or you can look at it as a learning experience and try and help somebody else later on. And maybe you look at it, well, I had to go through this maybe because I get to share this experience later and help somebody else through it. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you got to be nice to everyone really at the end of the day. Some, yeah, some I, people are just, goes, yeah, some people are just completely uh, messed up. You don't see life through their eyes. So, you know, it, it's best not to uh, irritate and uh, make certain people angry, uh, especially if they go out and, and commit a serious crime. Yeah, right. Jeez. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. It's the, what's you're, going on, John? You just never know. John, what the hell has happened to America? Boy, I don't know. Um, he it's it seems to just be turning. You know what? I honestly believe it is. This is something that I saw today that that kind of brought this into my attention is LeBron James tried to mm-hmm. um, have the the words Taco Tuesday. He tried to um, what do you call that when you make them yours? So people have to pay you if they use that. And he tried to he was to, trying to copyright it. Yeah, he was trying to copyright that tried to copyright Taco Tuesday. Just wow. those two words. And I got thinking, you know, whether it's, you know, people who are uh, rude on the road or in line or it just seems to be a selfish attitude that that whether whether it's, you know, shooting people who don't have respect for life or other people's lives, it just seems like a selfish, selfish attitude that that seems to be consuming people these days. Um, Very, especially those who want to stop traffic. Uh, and threaten to kill themselves as well. Right. Yeah. Whatever it is, um, you cry for help or, you know, people, it just seems like this is selfish attitude and very selfish. Yeah. And in whether you go into politics or anything like that, it's all self-serving and me, me, me. And, and I just think that we'd be better off if we, if we thought about our neighbor a little bit more, tried to help those around us and lift each other up. And, and I think at the core, uh, Americans are, and uh, are, are wanting to do that. I think, I think what it is is that there's a certain number, a small minority that have a loud voice. And, and those of us that are quiet need to speak up and say, no, we need to not be selfish. We need to work with each other. We need to help the people that are down. We need to help each other and, and do it, you know, in a way that we want to do it, not being forced to do it. The government saying you have to give, let's just, let's give, let's help those around us. And I think that it's a selfish attitude. That's just how, how I look at it, I guess. Amazing. And of course, John, I want your opinion. Is America ready? for a female president. Your thoughts and opinions go. You know, I think the right female president, yes, definitely. Um, <clears throat> I think that they would vote for the right female president. I think when I when I look at a candidate personally, um, you can't help but notice uh, certain things like gender. But if you're listening to the the message and if the message is on point um and you believe in it then i i think definitely americans would vote for a female president i know i would if 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 her um message was along the lines of what i believed and and my core beliefs definitely i would now why not yeah why not exactly i don't see too many um bad potential candidates uh, for the democrats but the ones i do like i don't think they have a chance in hell it's just really interesting i mean <laughs> politics is just it's insane it I, is. I just it's crazy <laughs> it's really become the new religion for a lot of individuals and uh, some people think i'm completely into politics i like politics but i do host a talk show and right. i know that politics really uh, drives people insane 
So mm-hmm. that's part of the program to drive you a little bit crazy here. Right. It's it's to just look at realistic. it and just wonder what's just, going on. <laughs> yeah, just sit back and watch the magic happen. And of course, I do want your opinion on one Donald J. Trump. I often joke around here on this program how uh, his administration has more lineup changes than a major league baseball team. <laughs> it does. It seems to change a lot. It's crazy. It, it seems to, you know, he has, it seems to have a hard time working with, with people. Um, I like him, by the way, personally. I don't know why. I kind I, there's a lot of things I like about him as a person, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie with you. I would definitely drink with the man. <laughs> there you go. Um, he would he would be really fun to have at, of like at a party, like oh yeah, host a party. Yeah, he really would. And and you know, there's I again, I like to try and look at the positive and and Me see too. what's going on that's yeah. positive. And uh, you know, there's there and and it's hard because I I am a big believer in the fact that um there's no such thing as as balanced um. Uh, uh, polit- political coverage. Oh my! You watch, you watch CNN. You're going to get one story. You watch Fox. You're getting another story. Yeah. And you got to really delve in to find the real story of what really happened because it's it's so twisted on both sides. It is. But but yeah, there's definitely things, good things happening that that's gone on, and and then there's just the bad. bad things. Oh, yes. And yeah, so you just got to kind of take everything with a grain of salt and and really delve in to learn the truth. Truth. That's the whole thing. The good, bad, and the ugly. Right. And and there's a lot of ugly right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Coming into the next year with the, the presidential elections, I, I kind of cringe because of just how ugly it's going to get. Oh, believe me, it is. We haven't even... Uh, felt the, the race come full circle yet. No, it, it really hasn't. And so it's, it's just wait to the, uh, yeah, just wait to the, the actual debates. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Bring out the popcorn. Oh yeah. It, it'll be, it'll be, you know, it would be really fun to watch if you didn't realize that it had our, you know, it had implications on I, both sides. I, I want them. <laughs> yes. I, I want them to, to, to do it uncensored. Right. I want them so, to really go at each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the one thing that makes Trump so interesting is because he doesn't have that filter. I love that, and, by the way. And it just comes right out. It's right? not. It, and believe me, by the way, for those that love and hate Trump, I'm not, I, I've never supported any president fully, to be honest with you. I always kind of saw them as just figureheads, the mascot per se of whatever political party it is. It's the administration and the other backers that you don't really know about who are really running the show here. But I, I will say, I do like a lot of things about Donald Trump. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. But there's a lot I, that dude, but there's a lot that does make me angry. Oh yeah. And you know, I always like the idea of whether it's Congress or whether it's president or whether it's, uh, if you're a politician, you should have to wear patches like the race car drivers. So you know uh-huh. who, who, who owns them, why yeah, they're who speaking, sponsored, <laughs> who sponsored them, who's sponsoring their, their candidacy so that you know, Oh, you know, it's this, it's big oil or it's big this or it's, you know, this that's sponsored. That's where the money came from. But word. And it's always the private and public opinions. That are always, um, you know, kind of troublesome. You always get these opinions and you don't know if it's the personal and private one or if it's just the public, uh, you know, the public sort of a thing that you have to pass up. Yeah. Yep. And, and you know, it's so interesting. I was just thinking the other day, um, 
when when it comes to like the big things, whether it's abortion or whether it's gun violence or borders, um, they they get the two extremes to battle it out. And when you could actually come to some understandings from each other, you know, and realize, no, n- nobody wants gun violence, but what are we going to do to fix it? You can't take away everybody's gun. That's not going to work. You know, it's we, we focus on the, the extremes and not coming together and finding some solutions. Yes, sir. And John, we are coming to a close pretty soon here. We still have a few more minutes, and I thought we can talk a little bit about your book here, your mm-hmm. latest book, new book. Stranger West. Yes. Um, so this is my third book, uh, Stranger West. I, I call this Stranger West because <clears throat> I have stories from Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, Oregon, Nevada, and Colorado in this book. Um, I was able to gather stories from all over because of my other books. I've had more people uh, contact me. I have stories of ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, Bigfoot, which falls under cryptids, but I like to put him separate because he's such a big guy. Yeah, he deserves it. (laughs) He does. And then I also have some stories of... uh, Glitches in the Matrix. And I, nice. real quick, I want to share one of those stories, one of my favorites in, in this book. Uh, just real quick. Go for it. I, in, I interviewed a gentleman from Colorado. He grew up in a small town in Colorado. Um, he, uh, it was in the early nineties. He graduated from high school and he left, uh, for a couple of years, um, to go do some stuff. And then came back before he went to school, before he went to college. And when he got back, he got a job doing some computer repair stuff on some of the older computers. And he got called out to a house. And when he got there, he's like, I know this house. This is where my friend Diane lived, you know. So he went in and there was an older woman in the house. And while he was fixing the computer, he said, you know, he's asking her, well, um, have you always lived here? Are you related to Diane and Diana? And she's like, oh, she's like, well, I purchased the house from her parents. Uh, her parents moved away when she died last year. And he was kind of shocked because he was one of his, his friends in high school and hadn't really heard about it. And he went, <clears throat> he went to the um, library, found her obituary, read it, went to the grave, found her grave in the, in the cemetery. And he was a little bit distraught because they'd been good friends in high school and, um, talked to a few friends that said, Oh yeah, she'd passed away. She had a, um, she had had an appendix rupture and then with the infection, she had died. Well, he went off to school to Utah, um, got married, got a job, stayed in Utah. He'd come visit every once in a while. Well, uh, in the early 2000s, uh, him and his wife went back to visit his parents for uh, Thanksgiving and they were getting ready for Thanksgiving and his mother's like, oh, I forgot the whipped cream. Can you run to the store? And he, so he says, yeah, I'll volunteer. And so he goes up to the store and he, he gets the whipped cream and he's walking to the front. There's quite a few people in the store because it's Thanksgiving day and people are getting their last little minute shopping. And he walks around the corner and runs into uh, somebody runs into him with the shopping cart and he looks up and it's Diana. And she's got a little kid in the cart and he's kind of shocked. And he's, she's like, Oh, hey, how's it going? I haven't seen you in forever. And he's like, uh, yeah, um, how are you? And talked to her for a few minutes and said, now, weren't you really sick out of high school or something? I heard something. And she says, Oh, I had an appendicitis and I, and I got really sick. I almost died, but luckily I pulled through. 
After he talks to her, he sets down the, the whipped cream and drives directly to the cemetery where he knows her grave is. And it's gone. There's no grave there. Um, he goes back to his parents' house. And he's just kind of in shock. And he does some research, tells his wife. And now his memory of her dying and learning all of this does not match up with what actually happened now. She's alive. She's married and she has a few kids. And he in talking to him, he says he's not sure what happened, but he feels like something changed because he remembers that happening. It's very vivid. He didn't dream it. He remembers the whole thing, but but his memory doesn't match reality anymore. My goodness. Yeah, that's a crazy story. It is. It, it is. I loved it, though. And when I was interviewing him, I did a phone interview, but I could tell he was very sincere. He was very sincere about it. And that's kind of a weird story to make up it is, uh, from yeah. his point. But I don't know why anybody would make that up. Right. Yeah. And, and I liked it because it went along a lot with, um, uh, the Mandela effect and how people's right. memories are different than how, how they remember it being. Very true. Very true. And of course, I did want to ask you in terms of cryptids out there, mm -hmm. which, which cryptids do you not believe in, John? Which ones do you just rule out? I don't know. That's a good question. I like to keep my mind open. And in interviewing people, um, I, in the past, if I might have said, Oh, well, I'm not sure if I believe in that or not, but then I may run into somebody who has experienced it. Uh -huh. um, I keep an open mind uh, about it. So I'm not, I'm not sure if there's any that I'm, I, I don't believe in. I know that in the Native American lore, mm -hmm. a lot of their creatures are both physical and spiritual beings, uh, the way they explain it. And so who knows? There's there's a lot of things that are possible out there. Very true. Very true. I'm almost at the point where I'm just not believing anymore in terms of Bigfoot. I think I might have I think I might have to call it quits soon. Mm. You know, I I'm find that it point. interesting that that, you know, there's still sightings and yet true. you have the shows and stuff where they're hunting it. And so you just wonder what's going on. Uh, what is it multidimensional? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Certain guests that I've that I've talked to here, they made that assumption that there's some sort of connection between uh, UFOs and Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. I've heard that as well. Um I'm not sure. I haven't personally made a call one way or the other on my own. I, I know that I've interviewed a lot of people who've seen him and seen, you know, evidence. So right. it's just hard to say, but I can understand your skepticism. Definitely. Especially with everything, you know, you, with everybody looking and going out and you'd think we would have more definite uh, proof at this point. Yeah. It's the same thing with those who claim they are abducted. It, lots of these people have these experiences and it does make you wonder what exactly are they, what exactly are they experiencing? They can't all just be lying and making it up. Right. Exactly. And, and I found experiences, uh, where I've interviewed two people who don't know each other, but they've had very similar experiences that are very specific. And so that kind of draws me in to say, okay, well, then there's definitely something about this uh, going on. Indeed. John, I do have to wrap up here tonight, and I want to thank you tremendously for being a part of the program. It's always an interesting and fun uh, time talking to you here. Love talking to you about all these subjects. And John, definitely feel free to plug your website or any speaking uh, engagements you might have, my friend. 
Oh, awesome. Thank you. Yes, my website is strangerbridgerland.com, all one word. Uh, and my books, I have three books, uh, Stranger Bridgerland, Beyond Stranger Bridgerland, and Stranger West are all available on Kindle and Softback on Amazon. And um, right now I don't have any hard speaking engagements, but I have some that I'm hopefully will come be coming up shortly that I'll be announcing and I'll announce them on my website when they when they come through. So I so much appreciate you having me on the program so much. I appreciate it. It was a great time and we will definitely have to do it again, my friend, at a later time. Awesome. Anytime. Awesome. All right, John, take care. Mahalo. I hope you had fun tonight, my friend. I did. It was it was a great time. Clockwise. I'll see you again on the other side, John. Stay safe out there. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye-bye, my friend. Bye. I hope you enjoyed tonight's program. And as we take it uh, home here tonight, I do want to thank those in the chat room, those newer listeners out there for giving uh, the program a chance here tonight. For those who have never heard the program, I will remind you that I am the host of all that you hear, this very fun and interesting program. I'm Michael Deacon. For those that don't know, I created this program to help those out there that really seek for something a little bit different. Not completely different, but slightly different. Something much more fun and meaningful. Hopefully, hopefully you have been able to receive that sort of thing. And again, I do want to thank Mr. John Olson and of course, Mr. Max Egan, all of you in the chat room and those who will listen to this tomorrow on the replay and all the networks that carry this program. I also want to thank those at the Fringe FM and Deprogrammed Radio. And of course, next week, I return yet again, boys and girls. Oh, it's going to be fun. It will be fun. And I believe the next guest we do have on will be Mr. Michael Horn. People love Mr. Michael Horn on this program. And I'm glad he's back and in the flesh. That is Michael Horn. We will be talking about Billy Meyer and all sorts of things. Definitely want you to come back again. We'll have fun, boys and girls. Oh, I promise you that. Yes, thank you so much in the chat room. Uh, Nikki there, yes. I appreciate all of you being here. And of course, for those that love the program, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. Extra bonus content, just $5 that you won't hear anywhere else. And of course, if you want to donate, that's michaeldeacon.com. Any amount is good. $5 minimum. And don't worry, I will give you the Patreon episode as well if you go through PayPal. No doubt, international listeners out there, thank you so much for your support as well. Stay safe, everyone, no matter where you are on this island Earth. But before I do go, 